Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. <laughs> Thank you, Scott Fransky. Thank you, Larry Anderson. Joyous night last night at the ballpark, Mike Sealski. Nice to see you on this beautiful morning. That's what I call analysis, Glenn Macnow. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, sometimes the simplest answer is the answer as the Phillies win. Yesterday, 7-2, to Mike, I am going to say this. I am loving this team, and not just because they're winning. They are, and that's a big part of it. But their approach, I feel they are playing smart baseball. A team that was not always smart at the plate is playing smart at the plate. Maybe not always in the field. but No, uh, but it, to your point, I think it does seem like they have – adjusted to the reality of Major League Baseball in 2023. They are putting more balls in play. Uh, we saw that last night with that rally in the second inning where they score three runs and you've got doubles all over the place. Uh, it's nothing but a good thing to see. And you've got a team that's 12 games over 500 settled in to the lead wildcard position in the National League, something like a 94% chance of making the postseason if you go by baseballreference.com, which is usually pretty reliable on these things. It's a good time to be a Phillies fan. It's a great time, and it's a great time down at the ball yard. People are having uh, really a lot of fun. We're going to talk about that a lot today. We will get into the Eagles as we move on. Uh, Jeff McClain from the Philadelphia Inquirer is going to join us at uh, 11 to help kind of break down his projection for who's going to make the Eagles and what else they may do before uh, the season opener. Maybe, maybe take a pass at that running back in Indianapolis. We'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, Ruben Amaro is going to join us at noon, the ex-GM, to talk some about the Phillies. We've got issues on all the other things we're going to work in during the show, and you were invited to call at 215-592-9494. But Mike Sealski, let us first Let's go over last night's game, break it down, because it was it was a really fun game to watch. Yeah, from a, like a hitter offensive standpoint, even the balls that weren't hits were kind of fun in some ways. <laughs> Although not the beginning. No. Uh, Christopher Sanchez uh, pitched trouble in the opening inning, second pitch of the game, Tommy Edmond doubles, two betters later, Paul Goldschmidt hits a line drive home run. It's down two to nothing before you even settle in with that first beer. Yeah, and not only that, but the outs he got in that inning were loud outs. It took Trey Turner and Bryson Stott making terrific plays in the middle of the infield. The third out of the inning was a sharply hit ground ball to Alec Bohm at third base. It didn't look good for Sanchez in that first inning. However, 
those two runs, those three hits in the first, those are the only two runs he is going to give up. It's the only three hits he's going to give up. Remember that. Remember that. I'll, well, I'll, I'll let me jump ahead. Mike, where does he rank in the rotation right now? He has given up three or fewer runs in 11 of his 12 starts. Right now, I would put him behind Zach Wheeler mm. and probably – you know, a tick below Aaron Nola, depending on what day Nola is pitching. Uh, I don't think you can put Ranger Suarez ahead of him just because Ranger has is hurt and has been hurt so much this season. Taiwan Walker is an interesting case. He guts out each of his outings, it seems, um, despite the lo- those low-velocity first innings he has. But, ah, man, I don't know. I wonder about the unfamiliarity of Sanchez in being a key to his success. Teams don't know him yet yeah. in the way they know the other starters in the rotation. I'd put him probably right in the middle of the rotation. Okay. I also think in a big postseason game, I'm not ready to turn it over to right. a young kid yet. But, boy, he has been pitching really well uh, and gets the rare win yesterday. He always seems to get the no decision. All right, so the bottom of the first, I'm bringing this up for a reason. Uh, veteran right-hander Miles Mikolas having a kind of a rough season. He lost 13-2 to two to the Mets in his last outing. Yeah, and he, uh, he, he looks like a holdover from like the 1970s Cardinals, like too, the stash, with, that, yeah. with the red hair and the mustache. Yeah, the stash is good. He whiffs Harper. He whiffs Castellanos in the first inning. And I'm watching the replay after the game, and they got the St. Louis announcers. And the Cards announcers are going like, well, this certainly takes Phillies fans out of it, maybe for the night. No. Not to be. <laughs> second inning, everything changes. Alec Bohm doubles to second. Remember that name. I know you've got something to say about him. Brandon Marsh, oppo single to left field. Let's talk about Marsh for a second. Okay. I, we, we all are fascinated by the caveman look and the, the, the wetting of the hair between innings and the, the, the big energy. Yep. His OPS right now is 839, which you know where that ranks on the team? Second. Yes. Yeah. Second only to Bryce Harper and pretty far ahead of the other guys. Yeah. And over his last 34 games, 913 OPS. Really nice pickup last year. Exactly. He has been exactly what the Phillies and Dave Dombrowski, who obviously acquired him, hoped he would be, which is to say that they got a guy with potential who had not really tapped into it with the Angels, and they fixed him in some way. They yeah. improved him. They developed him. And I think he's been the biggest and most pleasant surprise of their season to have him turn into the offensive player that he has become. And quite frankly, given some of his defense in the outfield, he's needed to be that offensive player. Which is funny because he came here as a defense first guy. Right. And, and he can be really good on defense. I mean, he's got range. He's got an arm. But he's just sometimes bonehead. Yeah. 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 But, but but he's making up for it. Really for doing nicely. Part. Okay. Good pickup. So here we are now. Uh, he gets on Stubbsy, little Stubbs, Garrett Stubbsy, <laughs> energy guy, full count, two outs, spins a curveball down the third baseline to tie it up with a double. The, the, the favorite, the favorite player of every grandmother in the greater Philadelphia area, right there. <laughs> he's little Garrett he, Stubbs. He's little and he's embracing. That's right. There you go. <laughs> he's a member of the tribe too. I, well, I well well aware of that. There you go. Always always. You're making me verklempt over here, Dan Wilson. We, we, Dan Wilson and I, we know all those. We got our secret society. We know. <laughs> okay, then up comes Schwarber again as we have a tie game, and here's what Kyle Schwarber does. Right-hander has the sign now set. The pitch swung on, yanked down the line and right. That'll be a base hit. It's going to one-hop the fence. In to score is Stubbs. Schwarber on his way into second. I think they just called ground rule double. Stuck in the fence, yeah. Okay. 
So it's a ground rule double for Schwarber, and it's a 3-2 lead for the Phillies. So here's what I'm noticing. Most of these hits are coming with two strikes mm -hmm. and are going the opposite way. And that's not the history of this team, which is just to try to hit a 700-foot home run. Yeah, but it is the reality, as I said earlier, of baseball now without shifting uh, with the pitch clock and the game moving faster, there is more to gain if you are a hitter by just trying to put the ball in play because the chances that a, the fielder is going to be standing exactly where you hit it 90% of the time are slimmer than they used to be. So put the ball in play and see what happens. And that's what this team is doing. Uh, that's why they erased that two-run deficit last night. And it's nothing but a good thing. Nothing but a good thing. So it seems like it took them, and I'm sure they're not alone on this, time to kind of adapt and figure out yeah. what it was because they were. They were a home run strikeout team. And listen, you know, Schwarber still largely is that guy. Sure. But him hitting a double the opposite way last night, yeah. I, I, nothing wrong with that. Not not at all. And if, they, if that's actually what's happening, I don't have any knowledge that Kevin Long is going to them and say, hey, guys, shorten up with two strikes and put the ball in play more often. But if that's what's happening, all the better for them. All right, you're about to hear my only gripe of the day. Okay. Uh, top of the sixth, Christopher mm. Sanchez. Here we go, yeah. Retires 12 in a row. Mm -hmm. Strikeout, ends the inning, strikes out Contreras. Slow start, goes six, and then here's what you get. Well, Sanchez trying to make it 12 straight. Cardinals retired in order. Here's the windup and the one-two to Contreras. Strike three called. He got him looking, fastballed. Split the plate just above the knees. And Christopher Sanchez dealing tonight after a slow start. Six strong for the left-hander. Christopher Sanchez off to a rough start. A leadoff double. First hitter of the game. Two batters later, Paul Goldschmidt made it two to nothing with his 21st home run. But after that, Sanchez gave up two hits over the next five innings. He retired the last 12 in a row. Only has 83 pitches. But for some reason, he's out of this game, and I have no idea why. I don't, I don't know if there's a good reason to take him out here, but they're going to, and so they'll go to the bullpen. Cranky Larry Anderson is my favorite Larry great, Anderson. He's the greatest. Because he's right. He's, he's always right. Yeah, he's right for this reason, I think, Glenn, for, for two, actually. Number one, this was not a terrible opportunity, I don't think, to push Sanchez a little bit. Send him out there for the seventh inning and see how he handles it. If he gives off a leadoff double off the left field wall, okay, then bring in whoever you're going to bring in. Oh, you got a nice lead. Right. Yep. But almost more importantly, we've talked all season about how much the Phillies are using their bullpen. If you can save them even one inning by, by ringing another inning out of your starter, even if it is a rookie fifth starter, why not take that opportunity? It seems to me you're kind of – Killing two birds with one stone if you leave Sanchez in there for the seventh and see how he does. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm with L.A. in this situation. I would have left him in the game. I would have left him in the game as well. You can't complain too much after a win. That is my only complaint. I would like to see the kid possibly go deeper. I don't know if he's on an innings count for the year and that, therefore, well, they want to take You, you him told out. me before the show you wanted Rob Thompson fired for this decision. That's exactly what I said. <laughs> All right, so now we go to the bottom of the inning. The Cardinals' bullpen comes in. Schwarber takes that lefty out. We played at the start of the show for his 35th of the year. Trivia question for Mike Sielski. Mm -hmm. uh, Kyle Schwarber is the first Philly to hit 35 home runs in consecutive seasons since? Ryan Howard, 2006 through 2009. Correct. 
these four years in a row. The answer to virtually every Phillies home run related question is Mike Schmidt or Ryan Howard. Yeah, and so. more recently it is always Ryan Howard. So that is correct. So good for Schwarber. Again, he's had a mixed bag of a season, but I will take those whenever I can. Now comes Bryce Harper up here with the Phillies up 6-2. to two. Harper's been on a bit of a hot streak, and here's what he does. The pitch. Swing and a ground ball. Fair over the first base bag. Goes down the line. Misses the sidewall. Going for the corner. Harper turning on the Jets. He's around second. He's heading for third. He'll be there standing with a triple. Even though he doesn't like triples, he'll it's take it. First one of the year. <laughs> It, it took Jordan Walker, the Cardinals' right fielder, an awful long time to get to that ball. I would, I didn't get to see a replay about where he was positioned when Harper hit the, the grounder down the line like that, but it seemed to take him forever and a day to get into the right field corner of the ballpark. It did. Uh, meanwhile, Harper is now 14 for his last 31. He's got five home runs, a double, a triple, nine RBIs, and 11 runs scored in that period. Hot, 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 hot. Is that good? Because that sounds pretty good. Nick Castellanos goes to the other way. The double brings him in. By the way, I left out one of the highlights I wanted to play, and I know it's one that you wanted to talk mm, about. Yes. Preceding the Schwarber home run, preceding the Harper triple, Alec Bohm came up to bat in the bottom of the sixth. 2-1 offer. Swung on, blasted. Deep left field, forget about it. Alec Bohm way up into the seats in left center. A bomb from Bohm, his 14th of the year. Bomb from Bohm? <laughs> Gotta love it. That ball was crushed. Yeah, so here's the reason I love this, Glenn. Um, Alec Bohm has 14 home runs this season, and I just looked this up before the show. The wonders of the Internet will never cease to me. You can, on Fangraphs.com, you can find exactly where Alec Bohm has hit Every ball he's hit this season, what part of the field it's yeah, gone to. Yeah, the spray chart. The spray right. chart, it's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. Anyway, seven of his 14 home runs have gone to left, center field, center field, or right center field. And that, to me, shows, A, he has a terrific approach at the plate that he wants to go up the middle more often than not. And, B, it shows his development as a hitter. There had always been these questions about, is he going to develop enough power? Can you have Alec Bohm? Be your regular third baseman if he's just going to hit 280 to 300 and hit 10 to 15 home runs in a season. Well, over his last 50 games, he's batting 316, seven homers, 32 RBI, and an 863 OPS. That is production from third base yep. that you were looking for. Uh, and the he's part of that part of the lineup, really, that has kind of carried them all season. You know, we've talked about it. JT has not had a great season. Harper was out for so long. Schwarber's batting average is, what, 185, and yet Bohm and Stott and Marsh have really picked up the slack. Mm-hmm. Absolutely they have. And so the, in the end, Phillies pitchers retire the final 21 of the night. They start the series with a 7-2 to win. Listen, I know the Cardinals are. They're a terrible team this year. And the Phillies have had the opportunity to play some bad teams, Kansas City, Minnesota, Washington. They, yeah. they, you know, uh, Pittsburgh was in this stretch, right? Yeah, they were. Okay. So, they, they, you know, but that's – that you, you get fat on those teams. That's what you do. And I know, Mike, we've cycled with this team all year from, oh, they're all the way back, you know, they get your World Series tickets to they're cooked. It, it flips with every Aaron Nola performance. <laughs> it does, yes. I know they're not as good as the Braves. The Braves, Braves by the way, are ungodly great. Oof. I'll give them credit. Oh. They're not as good as the Dodgers. They're, they're a machine. 
Um, but they got to the World Series last year as not the best team in the league. I would dare say the Eagles won the Super Bowl in 2017, and they probably weren't the best team in the league. Sometimes a good underdog gets hot at the right time, and right now I am believing in this team. I would put it this way, Glenn, and I've said this before and I'll keep saying it. They are the team in the National League that I would not want to face in the postseason. That It's just the way that they're built. It's the way they win games. You get them in a short series, whether you're talking about the wild card, the divisional round, or the league championship series. You saw what happened last season. All it would take would be a couple of terrific starts from guys who are capable of delivering terrific starts. Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, uh, maybe Sanchez. I mean, that's kind of pie in the sky. But then the flip side is all it takes is Bryce Harper having a stretch he's having right now or Nick Castellanos being hot or JT Realmuto or Trey Turner coming around at the right time. And this team is built to win a short series. And so I think you have to feel pretty good if you're a Phillies fan. I don't worry about catching the Braves. The the Braves, like I just said, they're a machine. Yeah. But the Braves are also going to come into any postseason series with all the pressure of being the favorite. And the one thing we haven't mentioned, Glenn, is no team is going to want to come into Citizens Bank Park and play there. Because that that is, without question, I think, the biggest home field advantage in Major League Baseball. Yeah, they've done that. The fans have done that. Congratulations to Dave Middleton, who really has helped foster that approach down there. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. Let's get Dan in Collegeville. 215-592-9494. Good morning, Dan. Hey, what's up, guys? We're good. Hey, Dan. Hey, I, I really hate to complain after a Phillies win, but I saw something right in the beginning of the, first, the game, first half of the first inning, that just made me scream at the TV. And that's Kyle Schwarber in left field again. Why are they constantly putting him out there? Is Harper still hurt? Is he, what, he can't play first base anymore? I mean, they want him in the lineup. They want to give Rojas, I guess, a rest in center. They want to get Marsh in center field. Uh, look, I think they're still working through all of this. Uh, I mean, look, Schwarber's not a great defensive left fielder. He just isn't. Uh, but maybe Harper couldn't play in the field last I, night. I think they're, they're not ready to have – they don't want Harper to play first base every day back-to-back. Yeah. Back. They're working him into the position slowly still. Yeah, I thought, though, with a day of rest, they, they would have put him back because Schwarber, the game where, where Harper hit the game-tying home run, you know Schwarber cost them that game. Because they got an extra run, the team they were playing against got an extra run in the seventh that Schwarber wasn't fast enough to get to, and that cost them the game. He he's a liability out there. He has cost them games. It's just I wish they didn't have to put him in left. Yeah, I get it, Dan. And and as Glenn said, in a perfect world, I think you have Brandon Marsh in left, you have Johan Rojas in center. Your outfield defense is much better. You have Bryce Harper at first, and you have Schwarber DH. But they're not putting Harper at first base every single night. They're just not. Uh, and so if, if you're not going to do that and you're going to have Harper DH, you've got to have Schwarber and left until Bryce Harper's ready to be an everyday first baseman, Glenn. I don't know what the solution yeah, is. I, I mean, we've been living with this thing for a while. It's not a good thing, and it seems to be changing at least to a degree. Johan Rojas plays center. Marsh plays left. They wanted Rojas to take a day off yesterday. He's a rookie. He's played a lot. but It's fine. They brought him in for defensive replacement. you you're going to see less of Schwarber in left field, but sure. it's not going to be zero Schwarber in left field. No, because his bat matters in the lineup. He's got to be in the lineup, and I get it, right? I mean, he should be wearing 
you know, a, a Kevlar vest out there in left field just for his own safety. But, hey, you know, you need the 35 home runs. Yeah. And this is not – this is going to sort itself out, I think, over time as Harper gets more comfortable at first. I have one more dumb thing to say. Okay. Of the many dumb things I'll say. Um, you see – the players all wearing these necklaces that are made by Alvarado, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think that's great. I actually do. I mean, <laughs> you like it, it? it? Yeah, it's like his little Etsy project. Yeah. Okay. But he makes these bead necklaces, and it's become a thing among the team. And you know, having been around covered teams, stupid things can can become big positives. Sure. Sure. They, or they, big negatives. They but. absolutely can. The the. The formula of the late 70s New York Yankees, where they all hated each other and won anyway, that's kind of the exception to the rule. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. And, and look, being around the Eagles in 2017 and the Eagles last season, a locker room that was very tight, those sorts of things matter. You know what it makes me think of, Glenn? It makes me think of the movie The Natural, where after Roy Hobbs uh, knocks the cover off the ball during the lightning storm, all his teammates come in the next game with the lightning bolt patches on their sleeves. Yes, <laughs> so, right. Um, stuff like that. Stuff like that can work, and it can be stupid. But I just, when I saw that yesterday, and there's like more and more players wearing these things, and he started mm-hmm. making them during his time on the DL. I'm thinking, it's a team. Yeah, this is a team, and I think in baseball, probably more in the other sports, being that kind of team really means something because you spend all that time on the road. And I liked it. Again, stupid thing, but I liked it. So, there you go. Okay. All right. Glenn Mack now, pro necklace. I am. 215-592-9494. We're going to work the Eagles into the next segment. We invite you to call about whatever is on your mind. As we told you, we're going to talk to Jeff McClain of the Inquirer at 11 uh, and get his uh, thoughts on the Eagles between uh, now and the start of the season. What are we now? uh, 15 days? How many? Yeah. Yeah, can't get it's here. It's gonna fast be a long. It's a long fifteen. Can't days. get here fast enough. Yeah. Get rid of those preseason games. They they just. Uh, I I feel like it would go faster if there weren't preseason games. Yeah. Well, you you didn't have to sit there during the last. No, one. I didn't. You were you were where on the down the shore with Thursday night. I was I was dominating a trivia night at a local restaurant. So with my wife and friends. So oh, well, there you are. I was I was watching. Uh, Tony Richardson put up, uh, try oh. to put up an offense <laughs> against third stringers, and, and yeah, Tony and, Richardson and waving, waving his arms like it meant something. Yeah, yeah, not exactly uh, Michael Vick or John Unitas. Uh, jerk face. The uh, pregame show was the highlight of the game. Pregame show was not bad. We, we did it. I listened to the pregame show. It was excellent. There you go. We managed. We got through two hours. There you go. Yeah, that was Nobody the only punched thing anybody. Worth. No, no, <laughs> you, you made it through. <laughs> we did. Uh, anyway, we'll talk to uh, Jeff McClain at 11. We'll talk to Ruben tomorrow at noon, and we'll talk to you all day with Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Hey, if the summer heat has not yet convinced you to replace your old windows and doors, hey, great people at Guide and Door and Window can help by giving you an extra month to do it at the best prices of the year. Take advantage of Guide's big summer sale. Receive 40% off each window and door you buy. Yep, 40% off every window you buy. 40% off all expertly installed, high-performance, triple-pane windows, and you get 40% off any high-quality door, including insulated entry doors, sliding patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. Plus, you can easily buy now and pay later with Guida's 
low monthly payment plans or interest-free financing for up to 12 months. Don't wait until fall like the other guys to replace your windows and doors. You need to go guide it right now so you can take advantage of these huge savings. All prior sales excluded. Offer expires at the end of August, so call Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack, now on a uh, beautiful Saturday. I got to tell you, I know we've had some rain, but the weather this August has been nice. It is not the usual 110 degrees, you know, 20-pound mosquitoes roaming the yard. Keep forgetting to turn my mic on. No, it's been bearable even at Eagles training camp, mm-hmm. uh, which is a nice change of pace because standing out there in that heat, yeah. uh, watching guys, you know, drive themselves into blocking sleds, it's uh, it can get a little warm. So uh, very, very nice. All right. So as we await the start of the Eagles season in 15 days, um, little news. Uh, the other day, yesterday, you you texted me around dinner time. Mm-hmm. The, the Cowboys made the move. The it, it was known that the Niners let it be known that they were done with Trey Lance. The first round, the quarterback was second pick of the draft, right? Third, third pick. Excuse and they, me. And they traded up to get him. Right, traded a ton of first rounders to get him. He just was a failure there. Do you know that I read um, the eight games he played for San Francisco are the fewest ever for a quarterback taken in the top five picks of the draft. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It, it's crazy that they gave up that much to get him, and only gave him that much of a chance. Well, that's my thought. Yeah, they got lucky with Purdy last year. You know, they had all the injuries, and then all of a sudden they're in the NFC Championship game with Purdy. Mm-hmm. Boy, the Eagles crushed that. They guy. did. They did. They did. And the Niners are still whining about I it. I know. Don't I block. Know. Don't don't try to block Hassan Reddick with a tight end, fellas. Yeah. Nonetheless, yeah. we're getting sidetracked. But here we go. Uh, so they give up on Lance, and he ends up going to the Cowboys for a fourth round pick. Mike Sealski, what's your assessment? My assessment is this is a smart move by the Cowboys because it is low risk, high reward. You only had to give up a fourth round pick. Dak Prescott is thirty. Maybe you can develop Lance into the player the 49ers thought he was going to be. And if you don't, okay, you only gave up a fourth-round pick to get him. The thing you have to remember about Trey Lance, Glenn, he's two years younger than Jalen Hurts. He's only 23. Yeah. So it's possible. By the way, barely started in college. Yeah. Started like 11 games or something. Like like it's, it's, it depends on how you want to look at it, right? My thinking is, what is the evidence that he has shown, either in college or during his time in the NFL, that he can be an adequate NFL quarterback, let alone one that you would take with the number three overall pick? Like, I don't, I don't see that. There's nothing there that says, oh, you got to have Trey Lance. Uh, even Carson Wentz, the, the little bit he played his senior season at North Dakota State, you could see there was some talent there. I, I don't see that with Lance, but that doesn't mean it's not there, and it doesn't mean that the Cowboys can't. Can't develop it. For a fourth-round pick? Yeah. Absolutely you make that deal. Absolutely. Um, I guess the, uh, the easy question for me to ask you is, if you were the Eagles, would you have given up a fourth-round pick? No. No? No, I wouldn't. Why? Because he always wanted developmental quarterback. Yeah, but you may ha- number one, you may have one in Tanner McKee. Okay. Um, and, you know, I, I do think they are probably – I don't know this for certain. I'm just going to guess – they are probably a little sensitive still to the idea of bringing in such a highly drafted quarterback behind the starter. 
you know, and that's not a comment on Jalen Hurts yeah, and I how th- he would I handle it. I think Hurts would handle it fine. I, I, I agree, but there's got to be a pause in somebody's mind in that front office. Like, we can't just trade for for the guy who was just the number three pick in the draft. Yeah, I, I mean, ideally what you do is you trade him, you develop him, you flip him, right? That's, right. That's what you really sure. want to do with the guy, That's and they had success doing that in the past. What I was going to – my follow-up was going to be, if you had said yes to that, is, well, the Cowboys are going to draft before the Eagles most likely, so you would have to give up more. Mm. I would not give up a third-round pick. What the Cowboys gave up to me was the fair price. Yeah. It's yeah. – it's, you know, maybe a player develops in the fourth round that you're going to lose in that draft pick, but here's you, the other you take th- that shot. Here's the other thing, Glenn. If you trade for Trey Lance, you, you can't then go out and sign Nick Foles after Marcus Mariota <laughs> bottoms out as yeah. your backup. I no. mean, come on. Here's the other thing I'll say about that, though. <laughs> Dallas is probably not the right place for him to go and develop because – Mike McCarthy is now the head coach and the play caller and kind of the offensive mind there, and I don't think Mike McCarthy is the guy I want to develop my next quarterback. No, their quarterback coach is a guy named Scott Tolzian, who was a quarterback in the NFL yeah, for a while, a yeah. backup, played under McCarthy in Green Bay, has been an assistant with the Cowboys for a bit. So I don't know that – I don't Trey, know. He may be a good quarterback yeah, coach. I don't know. But your point is well taken, Glenn, that situations for young quarterbacks – matter the fact that Jalen Hurts got here and had the development and the coaching and was wired the way that he was makes all the difference okay let's uh bring in let's talk about the Eagles here now the next couple days could be the next few days may be more interesting than the previous 28 because how he makes moves oh yeah last year C.J. Gardner Johnson came in right at this point was a huge contributor to that team's success last year they're, the cutdown day is Tuesday, 4 o'clock. Again, we'll talk to Jeff McClain about this at new, at 11. Excuse me. I don't think there's going to be any surprises among the guys they keep in cut. But do you anticipate how he's going to do something? Make yes. A deal? Yes. yes, I do. I any think that's, specific positions? I, I think you have to look defensively, right? I mean, don't you have to look at linebacker? I mean, they brought in a couple different guys. They bring in Zach Cunningham and Miles Jack, and mm-hmm. Miles Jack walks away from football. Yeah, plumber. Yeah. <laughs> Tradesman. Um, don't you have to look at the at safety uh, and think? Yeah, I would like to see another safety come in. You know, th- those would be the I places. I would prioritize safety. Yeah, I Actually, probably would too. I would prioritize, if you can find it, a damn punter. Ah. They need a punter. Yeah, they do. This guy, do. I don't trust this guy. Aaron, Aaron, you're not an Aaron Sipos guy. I'm not huh? a Sipos guy. He started out well last year. When the weather got colder, he got terrible. He got dead leg. It does not seem to have come back to me. That's a good call. Uh, and I don't know where they're going to find. I don't know that how many teams are currently carrying two punters that are going to release one. No, but maybe there's a guy out there who's looking for a job. Maybe. You know, people ask me all the time about uh, Arias. Is it Arias? The the, the oh, super leg guy yeah. out of San Diego State who the Bills got, who had the charges against him. The charges uh, ended up uh, going disappearing. But here's the thing, and my answer is I don't know what his story is. I don't know other than the fact that he uh, was exonerated in this case I don't know who he is, what he's about. Uh, his attorney, apparently, team spell his attorney lied, misled. I don't yeah. know. Matt but Ariza is his name. Ariza, yeah. Ariza. Ariza, thank you. There's 32 teams in the NFL. No one has no shown one's... interest in this guy. I. This is not a question that I can answer. This is a question. This is why the Eagles have security and investigators and so on. Yeah. 
But if nobody has taken a look at them, there must be a reason. Yes, and I and that's as far as I can go with the thing. Yeah, and I don't know that they're looking at him either. Uh, I think there are some aspects of that case that ought to give every NFL team pause, uh, apart from whether he was charged and convicted uh, of you know, sexual assault. So yeah. um, it, that's a bridge that's best crossed if we need to cross it. All right, I want to play something for you because we're talking a lot about Howie Roseman and uh, you know what he may do and mm-hmm. the magic he may be able to pull off between yes. now and the opener. Uh, Mickey Loomis, the general manager mm-hmm. of the New Orleans Saints, was on Chris Long's podcast, which, mm-hmm. by the way, is a terrific podcast. Chris Long and Jason Kelsey, the Kelsey brothers, both have great podcasts. They do. They do. Who knew in 2017 that not only were we covering the eventual Super Bowl champions, but the podcast champions of the world as well. They're great. So um, Mickey Loomis was on. I believe, is the question on the uh, cut as well or just the answer to the question? Oh, just the answer. Okay, so the question was that Chris Long asked something along the lines of when you're dealing, which are the other general managers that you either get nervous with or uh, you've, you've had a tough time dealing with or something along those lines. Here's Mickey Loomis's answer. So that's all a compliment, right? Yeah. That, that's entirely a compliment. Completely a compliment. Okay. Howie is Howie Roseman, who spent two years in the broom closet when Chip <laughs> Kelly was yes. here. When he and Howie Roseman, who during his first tenure made some real mistakes, mm-hmm. has now won a Super Bowl, has now pulled off some amazing deal. The AJ Brown deal last year was a phenomenal deal. Yep. And that wasn't the only one, right? Sign Hassan Reddick just absolutely on a roll of great roles. Yeah, he is. He's Steph Curry, you know, feeling it right now. Has reached this reputation around the league as like, hey, if Howie calls, man, you better be careful. Mm-hmm. Has Howie Roseman, Mike Sealski, reached the point of permanent ascension into the into the pantheon of greats in this city? That he will be exempt from, I don't want to say exempt from criticism, but will will never fall from the podium in this town. There are very few who reach that status where they will always be at the top, no matter what happens, mm-hmm. might, might even survive a bad year because he's Howie. Is he that here? No. No. No, he's uh, not. The, excuse me. I hear callers to this station all the time. In Howie, I trust. I have faith in Howie. Mm-hmm. We're going to be okay because Howie's there. We need this thing. Howie will take care of it. I love Howie. Howie, they used to call him a nerd. Now he's the king of the hill. Look, I think the public perception and the reality with respect to Howie have changed a lot. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, and people have wised up to how smart and how good he is at his job. But just bear in mind, Glenn, it wasn't all that long ago that it was – November, December 2020, heading into 2021, and we were all asking ourselves, how badly could the Eagles have screwed up the Carson Wentz situation? And the what got them out of that, in large part, was the fact that they were fortunate to draft Jalen Hurts. Like, we've talked about this, right? The very thing that 
crashed Carson Wentz, that caused the crash, mm-hmm. was the thing that saved them from the crash. And who engineered that? Yes, but how he didn't mean to engineer Hello. it. I Well, I, you know, he, they saw something in Hertz. And by the way, your colleague, uh, Jeff McLean, I think he's, this is one of the podcasts that, that mm-hmm. he has done. We can ask him about this. They saw something in Hertz really special that they felt taking him at the second round wasn't just insurance, but that this kid really was destined for something. Well, look, they, they went in to draft a backup quarterback, and they wanted to get a guy who they thought could play right away and who wouldn't cost them a lot of money under the cap, which was a smart thing to do. Rather than spend $12 million on Joe Flacco, you spend a pittance of that comparatively to, to draft a kid, and they drafted the right kid. What they, the mistake that they made at the time was not knowing how Carson Wentz was going to react to this. They had an impression of Wentz that was not entirely accurate. They thought that because he was from North Dakota and because he wore uh, camouflage and hunted for his own meals and grew up on the frozen tundra, that he was a week and a half. Yeah, he was a tough guy and he wasn't a tough guy. Uh, But you have to give them credit in that they made the, the absolute best of a bad situation. All I'm saying is. As long as Howie is the GM, that scrutiny and that microscope is always going to be there so that if if another mistake gets made, people will criticize him for it. I think there are figures in Philadelphia sports at this point who are beyond criticism. He's not there yet. Howie Roseman, cult figure. <laughs> I'm going to get Nick in college real, real fast. Tonight. Okay. Nick, Howie Roseman, cult figure. Yes. There you go. Yeah, and, oh. I, and I was a big critic. Look, I was a big critic of his. Look, just like the X Twitter, which is now X, the X Twitter, which is now X letter, uh, you're always going to find two idiots that go, who's at the center? And it's going to be the first time he makes another mistake. Because he's going to make a mistake. You know, the best GM is probably do 60, 55%, you know, on draft. Uh, but the first time he makes another mistake, it's going to be like, He's not a football guy. Get the pencil nerd out of the office. But I got to say, I was a big critic four or five years ago. Danny Watkins, uh, Barnett. I mean, we can name them. But right now, he wised up. He got smarter. He realized that, hey, if you start in the SEC and you make a mistake, it's not as bad as starting in the Pac-10 and making a mistake with a wide receiver. But yeah, it, look, it's... Nick. Everything you're thank sa- you, Nick. Yeah, thanks. Everything you're saying is ac- Everything Nick's saying is accurate. All I'm saying is it, because of the white hot scrutiny on the Eagles and the way everything about them is dissected, it won't take much. If Howie were to make a mistake, even if it's you know made in, I don't want to say good faith, but it's a logical move to make and it doesn't work out, people we are going to come down on. We it. will hear fire that guy. Yeah, we will. We will. I, I, I from from some significant quarters in the city. I'm two, talking about fans or media. Both. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on ninety four WIP. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now, ninety four WIP. Let's get Barry in Prospect Park. Good morning, Gary. Barry, excuse me. Hi Barry. Hey, what's up? My, yep. Hey, how are you guys doing? Great. Great, Barry. I wanted to talk about Howie Rosen since you were talking about him. Uh, I was wondering what you guys think the potential pitfalls are since you're saying, you know, if one thing goes wrong, uh, everyone will turn on him. And I don't think that's necessarily wrong. But it seems like he doesn't have a lot of pitfalls ahead. Like, would it take one of the offensive linemen not working out? Um, I feel like Jordan Davis not working out wouldn't be enough. Maybe not getting the Devontae Smith contract done. 
but I don't think that's going to happen. Like, do you see any potential mistakes down the road uh, yeah. for Howie that's going to cause this? Yeah, nothing leaps to mind right now, Barry, but there's always the, I guess you'd say, push and pull between Howie's aggressive nature to make a big deal or move up and take a particular player in the draft uh, and it not working out. So, for instance, I think one that does come to mind now that I think about it, Glenn, is Jalen Carter. Everybody's talking about how wonderful Jalen Carter has been in training camp, and he has been. He looks terrific. But that's not necessarily a guarantee that it's going to work out. And if the Eagles miss on that pick, as it turns out, I would think Howie would catch some flack for that, uh, depending on how they miss on it. It's one thing if Carter uh, keeps his nose clean and just doesn't meet expectations as a player. It's something else if something happens off the field. And Mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting that anything will or uh, I'm not – Banking on that, uh, but it's an open question. Yeah. So I think that'd be an exit. Any, anything can go wrong. You don't know where it's going to go wrong. So. Right. Okay. A um, couple things. You, uh, A guy we know we've respected for a long time is retiring. I know yes. you wanted to, I'm, I'm going to be with you, but you wanted to kind of give him his due. Yeah, no, just wanted to uh, congratulate Larry Doherty, who is retiring after 20 years as the vice president of I guess you'd say publicity, the sports information director at Temple University, uh, and after having spent 15 years in the same position at St. Joseph's University, Doc is, Larry Doc is one of the all-time great people in Philadelphia sports. He's been part of the scene in the Big Five and with Temple for a long, long time. Followed his father, Larry Doherty Sr., into the business. Larry Doc Sr. had been the SID at St. Joe's. You know, and, and Larry Jr. started there and then moved on to Temple. Just one of the all-time great people in the city and the city sports scene. So I just wanted to pay him his respect because he's retiring and he will be missed. All right. One other thing. Well, I w- just really quick, if I can add yeah. in, just because I also knew Larry. Mm-hmm. Um, just wanted to tack on. I agree with everything Mike said. But uh, in particular, just kind of his compliance with student media. I went to Temple for, for four years, graduated in 2020. Called a number of basketball games, covered a number of basketball games. He helped me coordinate uh, countless stories. It was always super easygoing, super uh, easy to work with, uh, and definitely made my experience as a media member in the Temple Journalism School a whole lot better. So, yeah, happy to hear uh, Larry Doherty moving on to retirement and uh, well-deserved. Nicely said, Dan and Mike, and I concur with both of you saying best wishes to him and his family moving ahead. All right, one other thing I want to get before the top of the hour, and we'll take calls. I see Lou in Mount Laurel wants to talk about an issue I want to get to in the next hour, so hang around there, Lou. Uh, We have invited David Edelman onto this show repeatedly to discuss this issue with the arena. His people have said maybe sometime in September. I mean, the problem Mm -hmm. for us, quite frankly, is our real estate gets pretty tight in the fall. Yeah, I mean, pennant race, start a football season. Football, it's tough. But something came up this week that's worth discussing, and it is this. Um, and by the way, I, w- I want to preface this by saying, and I'll let you speak for yourself, I'm pretty ambivalent on this new arena. I understand how the Sixers deserve to have their own place. I'd rather own my own place than rent. They've been renters for a long time. Clearly, the Flyers, Comcast, Spectacor is trying to make it work with them. But if the Sixers want their own place, I get it. Mm-hmm. I don't know about this place, the plans they have, where they have it. So I'm still, I'm, I'm saying I'm undecided, but I am skeptical. And one of the reasons, this design advocacy group, which is an independent group of more than 2,000 Philadelphia planners, architects, they slammed the project this past week in an article, their official position. And here's what this is what they said. 
It will be a gigantic blank box on top of another indoor shopping mall like the one we have. Except for the 40-some times a year that the Sixers play, the arena will not fill the surrounding streets with activity. And on those few busy nights, Sixers fans, who are not known to be devotees of public transportation, will clog the streets in search of parking places. Moreover, rather than integrate itself into the fabric of the city, the project will establish Filbert Street, well, I'm sorry, will abolish Filbert Street, Barry Septus Jefferson Regional Rail Station, and wall off Chinatown. Mike, these, this is a very independent group. These yeah. are people who want to see the city develop. Mm-hmm. They don't like it at all. No, they don't. And, again, to preface my comments with the same disclaimer that you offered, I'm pretty ambivalent about this idea as well. I try to divorce myself from the selfishness of being a suburban resident and the ease with which I can get down to the South Philadelphia sports complex. I think there's a lot to be said for developing that complex. Uh, This discussion can take us into all different kinds of places in terms of city versus suburbs and what's best for Philadelphia versus what's best for the entire Delaware Valley, local politics, all that kind of stuff. My my issue here, Glenn, is I want to see – what's the word? I want to see the Sixers come at this with a little more consistency, I guess. One of the things I noticed, for instance, that makes me skeptical of the project, and this might seem like a small thing, but I don't think it is. There was an article that came out in the Wall Street Journal this week talking about how how important it is for Philadelphia's economy to draw people back to Center City, okay? So somebody posts this article on on Twitter, on X, uh, a real estate developer, and this developer says the city needs approximately 100,000 more people daily to get back to where we were. 18,000 coming to a center city arena is a great start. And David Edelman reposts this sentiment and says, I agree. Here's the issue I have with this. One of the big promotional aspects or facts that the Sixers have put forward in trying to sell the idea for an arena downtown is that they have said, they've been on the record saying this, they said it to me, half of their season ticket holders already live in the city and already live in Center City. Well, if that's the case, yeah. you're not really drawing 18,000 people no, downtown you're, you're, every night. You're fudging the numbers. You're fudging the numbers a little bit here. And that raises my skepticism. And I, I, I just wish there was more good faith on both sides of this because I don't love some of the rhetoric I'm hearing out of the Chinatown side of this mm-hmm. either. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just... I. I I don't even know what I'm asking for other than more openness and honesty all around. Yeah, and again, we're hoping to get David Edelman on at some point. Uh, they said they would do it in the fall. Again, it gets tougher for us to do it in the fall, but at some point we will because we really think that on this station there needs to be good and open discussion yeah. about it because we are kind of in the middle, and I want to yeah. learn about it. And I, I'm not, I want to decide for myself, and I want to hope listeners decide whether or not this is a good arena. This thing could have a huge impact, good or bad, in this town. We don't take it lightly, so... That's yeah. kind of what, where we are. One last thing. I misspoke. I called Larry Doherty's uh, dad, Larry Sr. Of course, I drew a total blank. His name was Andy. And so I apologize to Larry sure. and to the Doherty family. All right. Uh, coming up, we uh, we will talk to Jeff McClain of the Philadelphia Inquirer about the Eagles. And if you're on hold, stick around because we'll get you in the next segment uh, to talk more about all of our issues. 215 592 94 94. Hey, if the summer heat hasn't convinced you to replace your old windows and doors, 
Maybe the great people at Guide a Door and Window can do so by helping give by giving you an extra month to do so at their best prices of the year. Take advantage of Guida's big summer sale. Receive 40% off every window and door. Yeah, 40% off each window you buy. That's right, 40% off each expertly installed high-performance triple-pane window and 40% off any high-quality door, including insulated entry doors, sliding patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. Plus, you can easily buy now and pay later with Guida's low monthly payment plans or interest-free financing for up to 12 months. Don't wait until fall like all the other people to replace your windows and doors. You need to go to Guida right now so you can take advantage of these huge savings. All prior sales excluded. Offer expires at the end of August, so call Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. And there you have it, Mike Zielski. Three preseason games, 180 minutes of lackluster football. That, to me, was the biggest highlight we got. The only highlight we had. (laughs) You're right. And Jeff McLean got to be there for all of that. He joins us now from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Uh, Eagles beat guy Jeff McLean. How are you, Jeff? How was your summer? Good. Uh, Glenn, Mike, how are you guys doing? We're We're great, man. We're great. We're good. So uh, let us start with this, Jeff. Cutdown is 4 p.m. next Tuesday. Take us into the Eagles executive offices, Howie, the scouts, the coaches. What's going on between now and Tuesday? Well, today they're off. Um, The players are, so I'd imagine they're probably now doing a lot of the heavy lifting of deciding, you know, who's going to go and probably obviously the the probably number of guys on the roster. They're going to be easy decisions to make, uh, mostly camp bodies. They could decide um, to waive them early. Sometimes they actually waive guys that uh, are veterans that they know aren't going to make the team. They have to give them a chance to, to land with other squads uh, earlier than normal. So you could see that. Uh, and then on Sunday and Monday, uh, the, the team reconvenes and practices. So they may use choose to use that, those last two practices as a way to evaluate the, the guys on the bubble. And then – Tuesday will be, you know, no practice, and, and that's when they'll really kind of do the, the heavy lifting of deciding who ultimately makes it, who doesn't, who's targeted better for the practice squad. You know, they have to make some uh, in, injury designations for some guys that are injured right now. And then I think more than any – I mean, the, the more intriguing component is how he's going to be working the phones and seeing if, you know, he can fill some holes at a couple of positions that I think maybe you're looking at and you're thinking they don't have enough depth there. All right, so Jeff – what are those positions that you think – well, it's two separate questions, I guess. What positions do you think uh, they need shoring up, and what positions do you think Howie could target? Because those, those could be two different things. Yeah. I mean, my guess is that um, he sees it the way I, I do. I don't know. <laughs> He's a GM. I'm not. But, you know, inside linebacker certainly is a position that they're going to need probably to add one body. Um. I only had them keeping three because I think Nicholas Morrow is a vested veteran. Has he done enough to make the roster? They probably believe that he can sneak through waivers and they can bring him back later as to not guarantee his, his entire contract for the for the season. And then, you know, I know there's been uh, a lot of consternation about who the starting safety is opposite Reed Blankenship's. Um, they've had four guys competing for that spot, which makes you think, oh, you know, they have four guys, you know, that should be enough in terms of depth, but I still feel like there's an opportunity maybe there to add somebody because Reed, you're asking a lot of him based upon, I don't know how many starts that he's had now in his career. 
And then wide receiver is another one that I think you could really see how he trying to upgrade because obviously the top two guys are as good as anyone in the league. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and Quez Watkins is a good slot. Obviously didn't have his best year last year, but he's had a good camp. And then you have Alameda Zacchaeus. But beyond that, you really don't have much of anything. And aside from A.J., you don't really have size on the outside. You don't really have – you know, Quez is probably better at slot at this point, although he can move outside if one of those guys gets hurt, and Alameda can play outside. But you don't really have, like, a, a guy that's strictly, ideally, an outside slot uh, – outside receiver in case someone does get hurt. So I really think that receivers in the area that, that you'll see how we attempt to upgrade. Jeff McLean is our guest from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Follow him on Twitter at Jeff underscore McLean. I know uh, it sounds ridiculous, but I this is one of the things I think about all the time. Is there any chance we're going to have a different punter? Uh, yeah, know? I mean, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I, I totally forgot to mention punter. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's certainly a chance that they're going to be looking at that position. Aaron Sippos. As we know, um, did not perform well in the Super Bowl, did not perform well in the playoff game against the Buccaneers the year before. That concerns me that in in big spots, he didn't deliver. And, in fact, you know, especially the Buccaneers game, it looked like mm-hmm. he let the moment get to him. And, and you could say the same about the Super Bowl. He, you know, we spoke to him just, I think it was last week, and he, you know, he obviously took uh, full accountability for his performance in the Super Bowl, as he did after the game, too, but... I think he said one of the things they really wanted to work on was just like rushing himself. And, and usually when you see or hear punters say that, that tells you it's a little bit of a mental thing. And that concerns me. Um, I think in terms of his, of his punting, he's probably middle of the road. Um, if you look maybe a little on the lesser side, if you look at the numbers in terms of net yardage the last few years, um, not bad at dropping the ball inside the 20, inside the 10. But the question is, I mean, who else is out there? Mm-hmm. I looked at the rosters of other NFL teams, and they, I think there's five teams right now, actually six now, because I believe was it the Texans that signed the Ty Zetner, the, the undrafted rookie yeah. the Eagles had in camp. So there are, there are five or six teams that have two punters. And I looked at the numbers. I don't know the specifics of, of the punters and how they performed. I just looked at the numbers. No one really stood out. Um, but, you know, that's typically where you're looking – if you're a team that's in, in need of a, a punter, you're looking for to see what happens uh, at, with those five teams and who is left over. And if it's someone that you think is strong enough to bring in and just without really having seen them up close, I'm sure the Eagles have done their homework and maybe tried out some of these guys over the years and have a little sense of maybe a, a few of them. But I mean, at this point to me, it seems like it's going to be supposed by default. So with that, we have reached our quota on, at the station of punter talk, both for the month of yeah, August and <laughs> for the month of September. Probably. I mean, you know it's good when punter's the biggest concern. But. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Jeff, what are the conditions you think might have to be in place for the Eagles to really seriously think about bringing in Jonathan Taylor, if they would think about such things at all? Yeah, um, <laughs> Look again, again. Howie, um, because he's always making, he's always on the calls. He's never ruling anything out. It's easy to kind of pin the Eagles to whatever kind of flavor of the week is out there, or you know, there's trade talk uh, that's going on in, in the media and amongst fans. So, you know, sure, you know, it's possible. Anything's possible. Um, and I think you know, this is kind of like a little more of a reality than say, like with all the B. John Robinson talk. Uh, at number 10 or number nine, whatever they were drafting last year, 
Um, because, again, you have the ability to, to trade um, something that's not going to probably cost you a heck of a lot. That, that you know, that first – that nine, number nine pick for a running back was just un, unrealistic. And that's not what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. But to me, I just think Jonathan Taylor, while he, you know, he plays a position which you don't – he's not going to necessarily have a lot of leverage – I, I, he's going to probably get at least a semi-decent deal. Is that something that the Eagles are going to pay? Um, you know, because I think Howie would be willing to say, oh, yeah, we'll bring him in for the last year. We'll, we'll roll that. But he may tailor what's happening behind the scenes. His agent is certainly talking to teams. I'm sure he has the the green light to shop his client's services to other teams and they'll work out a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's ideally what Taylor wants. And my guess is that he's probably not going anywhere unless he's going to have a deal in place. And and that now comes down to, okay, what's the market? Mark's not great for running backs, but is how are we going to spend all this money on a running back when they have a pretty good collection that they, you know, gave up some money and draft pick, uh, you know, they, they obviously traded for, for DeAndre Swift. It, you know, is that something that they're going to do? Um, at this point, I, the odds are saying no. Um, I, I listen. I would agree. The odds would say no, right? It's it's it's. The, I'll put it at fifteen percent that they get him, but I'll still put it at fifteen percent. And supposedly there are whatever there are a million reports. There are five teams, six teams going after him, and clearly we know how he would make the call because he's good at that kind of thing. I wonder if he he Taylor is going to get a deal. Um, a deal that he wants because none of these guys are getting paid. Dalvin Cook didn't get paid. Barkley didn't get paid big. Uh, Pollard didn't, you know, had to take the had to take the uh, franchise tag. I don't think he's going to get what he wants. And if Howie can sweeten it a little bit, and even use uh, the talk, whether it cares to Taylor that you know you're coming back home, he's from New Jersey, and you get a chance to play on a team that's going to go to the Super Bowl, and think of what that does. Mm-hmm. That it's not. I'm not going to say it's likely, but I think it's not impossible. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's so many other things that are that are possible that that probably warrant the discussion uh, than Jonathan Taylor. Okay, gotcha, Jeff. I have a bigger picture question here. You've been covering this team a long time, and you've seen the changes in the way teams handle training camps and the preseason. And we kidded with you coming in about having to watch that game Thursday night against the Colts which was a hard watch. If I were to make you czar of the NFL, how would you change preseason and training camp uh, to make it, if you could, more accessible or, or, or improve it in some way? Because it seems to me preseason games are losing their value. I know the Ross Tucker argument about this is where careers are won and lost, but it seems like joint practices and the day-to-day are becoming more important to decision makers in the NFL. Yeah. Where do you see this all headed? Um, well, I see it all heading where whatever can make the NFL more money is where it's headed, right? <laughs> Good point. That's what it's always about. So, I guess realistically that's an 18 game season, uh, two games of preseason and Again, even more emphasis on the joint practices, which tells me that joint practices should be held probably in stadiums so yep. that fans can come watch them or or whatever. If you have a training camp facility that can house, you know, whatever, how many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I think it should be. Um, I don't like the fact that the Eagles only have one open practice for fans. Uh, I didn't like it when they only had three 
Yeah. Um, I just don't think that's fair. Uh, and then, you know, look, in their defense, they cannot build stands at, at the NovaCare. They can't add any more people. They had, there's a town, uh, neighborhood ordinance, and they, they knew that all along when they moved the team from Lehigh in terms of the training camp uh, to Philadelphia in 2013. Um, but the joint practices are now increasingly important, um, and that is where you're going to see the starters. That's where you're going to see um, the team make a lot, most of its evaluations because I, I understand that there are roster spots that are won in those last few preseason games, but maybe one. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, maybe a few. Um, but the quality is really bad. It's never been great, clearly. And the Eagles are about when it comes to the preseason. They probably emphasize it the least out of, or among the least out of any team in the NFL. So, what you saw out there on on Thursday was first teamers with the Colts playing for most of the first half, and the Eagles playing third and fourth teamers, and it was not pretty. I mean, in in their defense, they kind of hung with that. <laughs> they yeah. pretty much hung with the Colts team is clearly not going to be that great this year. Um, yeah, but, I, yeah I, would product, say, I agree with you. The product's bad. Yeah, I would say this, Jeff, when. The most exciting play you see in the back and forth between the Colts and the Eagles is the Kenny Gainwell option pass during the joint practice. That yeah. tells you about the importance of the preseason. And I'm with you. The idea that uh, fans are being made to pay for these preseason games is just, it's been ridiculous for a long time. And it, it just was really brought home the other night. Uh, last one for me, Jeff McClain. By the way, the last uh, your last uh, statement there was brilliant, I, and I think we agree 100%. Uh, last one for me, you mentioned that they sometimes will release veteran players early to give them the opportunity to hook up with another team. If you were looking at it now, a name or two that you think, familiar name that may get cut, maybe on the list? Yeah, uh, so I didn't think I had any familiar names get cut, any surprise cuts. Um, I think there's a couple veterans that they brought in that could get cut. Like, I mean, I, it wouldn't surprise me. Terrell Evans, you know, veteran safety. Yeah. Was, was on the outside looking in. I mentioned Nicholas Morrow. Contavious Street is another veteran that they brought in that hasn't really stood out to me um, in camp. Although, you know, they're probably going to go deep on the, the on the defensive line. Um, Brayton Covey perhaps would probably would qualify a little bit. He hasn't mm. practiced much. He's had a hamstring injury. He didn't really do much before he had the injury. It wasn't like he, you know, was phenomenal. Uh, I uh, excuse me. I yeah. won dinner for four yeah. last year at Ralph's on Kobe. Revenge is mine. Yeah, that was our stupid uh, football bet of the year. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I mean, I have him on the roster. I think that they just don't really have a punt return option. I mean, Alamadi uh, Zacchaeus can do it. He's only done it like three or four times though in the NFL. He's done it in camp since since Kobe's been injured. Um, you know, when you look at the, the snap counts at the end of every game the, the following day and, and Kobe's got like three, you're like, oh, okay, is that the best use of a player uh, on game days? You'd like to have a guy that does something else and then also pump returns. But he improved last year at he that did. He did. at that skill and had a really good return in the Super Bowl, if I, if I recall correctly. So um, that's still uh, a, a trait that not many uh, guys in the league possess, and it's really hard – you see it, you just don't want to waste a receiver and someone who has another responsibility to do that job because sometimes it just kind of takes away from when they're when they have you know their main job. We're, we're, so we're I back have one. Yeah, we're back to arguing what what I suggested last year, Jeff. Just don't return punts if you're an NFL team. The the chances that you're going to benefit from it rather than 
harm yourself mm. to me uh, are too great. You're not going to see many kick. You, pre- you may see a little bit a fewer of the kick returns because you, know, right. you have the option to, to fair catch. Or, yeah. or, or, right. You have the option to obviously start on the 25 no matter where you feel the ball now uh, on kick returns. Yeah, and notice so, – so, Sorry, okay. Jeff, not to interrupt, but notice all listeners, Jeff McClain did not mention that the Eagles were going to cut Marcus Mariota. He did not say that, so yes. don't count on is it, okay? Another, is that another, Is that another? like, uh, I mean, I'm just... I, no, I mean, there's not I'm a groundswell to cut him, but as you can imagine, when there's very little going on in the preseason, and what fans are watching is the veteran quarterback, the only quarterback they've seen who they recognize, play yeah. that poorly. There's been a lot of angst. Yeah, well, I you know I understand it. I mean, I've seen it from the get-go of camp. I mean, it's something that I chronicled in my yes, practice you observations. Did. Yes, is that, you is that did. Mario has not looked great, um, but I think they're they're in a position where they can they can you know slow play this. Just assuming Jalen Hurts doesn't get hurt immediately, then right. then you're kind of concerned. But they can kind of scheme something up to to get him through a game. I mean, that's what you're looking for. If if Jalen's gone for an extended period, then well, you know. <laughs> Yep, all bets are off in the season anyway. Jeff, exactly. we got to run, but we always appreciate right. it. Read him in the inquiry. Hey, when's the uh, podcast coming back? Well, so we did we did kind of like a bonus episode um, that we just released last week on Brandon Graham, so you guys can check that out. But we are going to have a season two that's going to be in season. It won't be every week, uh, maybe every two three weeks, but we're going to try and do it. Uh, we're we're going to do it during the season, and then we'll have a you know season. Uh, our you know it'll be season three. It'll be season two proper in the off season, which will. We'll kind of dive deep in the stories, but this will be a mini version um, of what we did previously. We'll be on the team now as it exists. Loved it. Loved it. It, was, it really Great was day. a good stuff. Okay. Hey, a pleasure. We'll see you down at the stadium. Thanks guys. Thank Thanks, you Jeff. very much. There you go. Jeff McLean does a great job. All right. Let's uh, Lou has been hanging here. Yep. Let's get Lou before the break. Lou. Yeah, guys. How's it going? We're good. Yeah. Yeah. I had a question um, basically having to do with uh, the elephant in the NFL, I guess, right now, instead of the room, um, with uh, Jonathan Taylor. Now, the Eagles should not trade for him. I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that he should not – how he should not try and go for him. However, if there was a chance that they did, um, I was looking at their draft picks, and I'm thinking – and you can tell me if I'm, like, completely off base with this. Um, I got – if you trade, you got a second round pick that they could trade. They got three fifths that they should have. I think they have four fifth round picks in this upcoming draft. So you do a second round, three fifth rounds, and then. I, I, I think you're, you're, I think you're yeah. thinking, you're overthinking this, Lou. You're overthinking Am it. Am I? They, yeah. They are. This is just my feeling. If they were to yeah. pursue this. They would have to know first of all that they could get Taylor without having to give him a long-term contract, and so that necessarily uh, means you're not going to give up more than one draft pick to get him. And that's why, as Glenn mentioned, that's why I think the odds are so low that he ends up here. If he's that committed to getting a long-term deal, the Eagles are out because I don't think they're going to give him that deal. Nor do I think they should. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four coming up. Ooh. Watching, actually, we're each watching something that we didn't like. We're Pan City, baby. Yeah, we, but I, <laughs> but, but I am one of my favorite shows is back on the air. So I'll make a quick mention of that. As okay, well. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack, now on ninety four WIP. Yeah. Okay. Well, the uh, Lakers are back, baby. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, what we're watching is sponsored by Guided Door and Window. Take advantage of Guided Door and Window's big summer sales event. Receive 40% off all windows and doors. Call 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit them at gogida.com. That little sounder is the promo for season two of HBO's Winning Time, the which they can't call Showtime because there is a Showtime, but Correct. it is the based off the Jeff Perlman book about the Lakers and all that team and all that era. And I will tell you this. Uh, uh, they've, they've had three episodes so far. I watched two. Mm-hmm. Um, season one was not great TV, Mike Sielski, mm-hmm. uh, by the standards of it was only nominated for one Emmy, and that was for cinematography. So it didn't get tremendous critical review, but it was good popcorn TV. And in the summer when nothing is going on in the NBA, it's right. it, it kind of fun to see the send-ups of all those great personalities of – Magic and Kareem and Jerry West and Jerry Buss and Pat Riley. And I mean, remember, it was condemned by the actual Lakers. Uh, Kareem wrote a whole thing Mm -hmm. on it, how they were portrayed, particularly Jerry Jerry West. West, He he was a violent, manic, depressive nutcase. So, but it was a fun watch. Uh, I don't know how true it was to Jeff Perlman's book, but it was was entertaining. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was. Jeff's book was pretty comprehensive of that era. So I'm sure they... Pulled Jeff, out certain threads. Yes, and Jeff did not criticize it because nope. Jeff drew on a paycheck for that Darn and a pretty right. good one. So <laughs> it's, you know, uh, season two now uh, back on HBO. Three episodes in, I'm going to give the critic report. Uh oh, Sealski, this one's an airball. Oh man, yeah, uh. it's not good. First of all, it jumps all over place and time. There's no continuity to it. Um, the team's 82 win over the Sixers is. Like such an afterthought, you don't even see any anything from it, any highlights from it. Well, that's good for Sixers fans. I guess so. It's uh, and I'm waiting to see how they do when the Sixers win in '83. We haven't right. gotten to that one yet, but hopefully they give that a little bit more attention. I want to see like who plays Moses and who plays yeah, who Doc. plays Doc. Yeah, it's I want to see all that. Um, and it's really hard to sustain these story arcs when it just keeps making these big leaps in time. More so, if you watched that show last year, Dan Wilson, did you watch it last year? I did not actually. All right, I got nothing. You didn't watch it. He didn't I, watch I've it. I've seen parts of it. I did uh, not watch oh, the entire okay. season. Well, then I'm talking to myself. Well, that's all right. The best no, character. No different from the norm here. <laughs> that's most of my <laughs> me, me in my car, me at home. Yes. Me, yes, I know. The best character in season one was John C. Riley as this big, outsized Jerry Bus. More than anything, it was his story. Mm-hmm. Um, his dream of buying the team. We really didn't have the money, making the forum into that special place, the cheerleaders, the fighting bankruptcy, how he saw Showtime as entertainment when everybody else was just seeing it as basketball. He was the he was the party. He was the story. He's still there, but there's nothing interesting about him. I feel like uh, they told his whole story in season one, and now he's just hanging around. I would think magic would be the really interesting story in season two. Because he actually, there was major conflict between him and Kareem, him and Paul Westhead. Yep. And his image was not great in like 1982. The him and Kareem stuff, they they it was in season one, and they just kind of now are ignoring that. Mm. Uh, the best part actually is the interplay between Paul Westhead, who's still the coach, mm-hmm. and Pat Riley, Adrian Brody. The assistant, who we know is eventually going to be the guy, so that's pretty good. By the way, your boy Jason Siegel, yeah, um, from uh, Shrinking, yes, 
plays Westhead, mm-hmm. a little different than his character in Shrinking. He is a grudge-holding autocrat. He doesn't listen wow. to Pat Riley. Huh. Uh, who O'Reilly tells him, listen, you're alienating magic, and you got this rigid offense. And again, I, I don't know how accurate it is, given uh, how upset Kareem was. But that part's kind of interesting. Westhead is, is interesting. And Adrian Brody is really good. So anyway, the new season focuses a lot on the rivalry with the Celtics, and they got a guy playing Larry Bird who looks just like Larry Bird. Nice. Really looks like Larry Bird. Red Auerbach is Michael Chiklis. Yeah. And that yeah. kind of works, too. I'm looking forward to the episode where they lose to the Sixers. But right now, I will tell you that um, winning time season two, big disappointment. So I've had a similar viewing experience with um, another sports documentary. I, I love documentaries, whether sports, history, whatever. And a couple of weeks ago, I had talked about the Untold series on Netflix. And I had watched their episode on Johnny Manziel and mentioned how disappointed I was in that. Well... As bad as that was, untold Swamp Kings about the University of Florida football team during the era of Urban Meyer and Tim Tebow is even worse. Oh, no. Awful. I lasted one episode and said, I'm not watching the rest of this. It's four 45-minute episodes. I watched the first one and said, this is not going in a direction that interests me and even worse, in a way, kind of offended me. So... At what point during the first episode, I actually got up, got a piece of paper and a pen, and wrote down so that I would remember to say this. I don't understand. What's what a piece of paper and a pen? I'm, I'm, I'm old familiar school. with those. I'm old school. I didn't on, speak it just, into my phone. Yeah. I needed to write he it down. He wrote his eagle score prediction down. He's going to fold it up. Yeah, now. fold a piece <laughs> hey, of paper on my evaluation. That's a classic. Come on now. Um, I don't understand why someone who wasn't already a fan of Florida football would watch this series. It is not a documentary. It is a recruiting video for the University of Florida football team. It is game highlights. It is interviews with Urban Meyer and Tim Tebow and all these players with minimal, if any, pushback, no outside voices, no attempt to render an objective, honest look at what was going on in that program at that time. You said somewhat the same about the Manziel show. Yes. This is even worse. Because, for example, you may remember a certain tight end who played for the University of Florida during that era named Aaron Hernandez. God. There's virtually— I think he's in prison now. Yeah. Well, no, he's dead. Oh, he's dead. That's right. Excuse me. Forgot that. Yeah. yeah. Um, after having been in prison yeah, for yeah. murder. R.I.P. Minimal to no mention of that. No mention of the 31 players who were arrested during Urban Meyer's tenure as the Florida head coach. Untold is the perfect title for this series because its producers and directors never even try to tell a full, even-handed story about the subjects and people that they are covering. And I worry, to be honest, that this is the future of documentary, that you are going to trade access for favorable coverage. That since we got Tim Tebow and Urban Meyer to sit down for us, we are therefore only going to tell the story from their perspective and from no one else's. And we're going to gloss over all the blotches and bad moments and everything else that would conceivably tell this story in a complete and accurate way. 
I give it one star out of four. Ooh. I cannot recommend this at all. Don't bother. 215-592-9494. And before we just hit the phones, I will tell you. So the other show I'm watching, and I've talked about it. This is now the third season for Only Murders in the Building and mm-hmm. I've on Hulu. And I've discussed it every year it is on. And I love this show. And I sometimes when I talk about it, get people who get back to me and say, how the heck can you love that show? I hate that show. It's a very stylized show, Mm -hmm. and I think people generally either love it or hate it. I don't think it's a show people are in the middle. My my wife, Kate, watches it and loves it. There you go. I'm with Kate. Yeah. There you go. Be you, gal. Yep. Terrier. Absolutely. There you have it. Um, It's Steve Martin, Martin Short, and ah, I'm forgetting her name. Oh, shoot. Yeah, she's great. Hold on. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Uh, whoever she is, she's terrific. Um, Selena Gomez. Selena Gomez. That's, I was going to say it, and I chickened out. Yeah. Anyway, uh, they are great. They're great together. By the way, Steve Martin and Martin Short are coming to Philadelphia next month. My wife and I got tickets to see them together. Oh, nice. Next, in October. Oh, I'm a huge Steve Martin fan. I don't know. I just yeah. haven't gotten around to watching this show. Uh, I think you would like it. Well, if okay. your wife is watching, she's probably on season three. You got some catch up to do. I do, but she has some catching up to do for me with the bear. So, oh, that's you know. another great. That's my favorite show of the year. Yeah. Anyway, you know what? One of these days we'll do our top 10 shows of the years. But I love Only Murders in the Building on Hulu. If you haven't ever watched it, start with season one. Do me a favor. Stick around for three or four episodes before you pass judgment on it and okay. see what you think because it's great. By the way, great co-hosts too: Meryl Streep, Paul Rudd in this season oh. uh, as regulars. It's, nice. It's, 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 it's pretty good. Yep. Okay, cool. And the pride of Upper Darby High. Tina Fey. Tina Fey. Ah. Yeah. If you'd she's, said Delco, I would have gotten that. She's in I forgot she went to Upper Darby. Yeah. I thought for some reason she might have gone to uh, Prendy. No. Uh, anyway, that's Only Murders in the Building, and that I'm enjoying. Winning Time, no, and you. Yeah, Untold, Swamp Kings, Get Away. I think I'm staying away from that whole Untold. I, I am now. Yeah, it's 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 really been disappointing. All right, let's get John in uh, Charlestown. Hello, John. Hey, how you doing, Glenn? We're good. Hey, um... A trivia question for you, Glenn. Mm. It'll clear things up. The two seasons the Phillies have won a World Series. Who were the left fielders? Greg Luzinski and Pat Burrell. Uh, we see a trend going here? They can't field. <laughs> You're damn right they can't field. Hey, in two of the years that they didn't win, but they were in the World Series, 93 was Pete Incavelia. Yeah. Yep. Yep, that's right. And eighty and eighty three was Wozinski again. Yep, they they're brutal in left field. Big yeah. deal. So what? Well, um, I'd rather not and, be. I mean, that they yeah. won it in those years is good. You also remember the year that they lost it because the manager didn't take Luzinski out for a defensive replacement. Uh, Danny Ozark, absolutely yeah, remember that. around out there. But uh, I, listen, I hear your point. Here, here's where I'll here's where I'll agree with you to this extent. If I am putting in priority. Mike, I'll ask you this mm-hmm. question, and then, John, yeah. I, I know your answer, so hang in. If I'm ranking right. the eight defensive positions, okay, mm-hmm. from top to bottom, and you could have a star at two or three, what are the ones you'd rank the highest? Oh, uh, catcher, shortstop. Okay. Center field? Center field, Maybe yeah. second Up base? Up the middle, right? Yeah. Okay. Which are the ones you put the least priority? Left field would be last. Yeah. So, to that extent, I agree with you, which doesn't mean I enjoy watching them botch it up out there. I, I could argue that Schwarber's the best athlete out of all them and well, tends who? to catch the ball when he gets to it. Oh, no, <laughs> I would argue Burl was the best defensive. Burl could throw. I'll give yeah. him that. Yeah, he, he could. He could throw. Burl could. He had a cannon. Yeah. Oh, the other thing is, um, and I, I've stated that I got two things. The thing I keep saying is 
you know, he only leads off once a game. He's only leadoff hitter once a game. Mm-hmm. And I and I and I really think a lot of success of the bottom of the order that we've had this year is due to the fact that you have him looming on deck. It's, he's almost given protection to the eight and nine. Well, I'm not. I'm not going for him as protection. But John, you have won the title of the president of the Pat Burrell Defenders Club. So <laughs> and the uh, Kyle Schwarber Defenders uh, Club. Uh, not, not Kyle oh, Schwarber. That's what I meant yeah. to say. The Kyle John, Schwarber Defenders Club. John had has not done both. his homework on Philly's he, left field. He did. It was good work. It was a good call. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on ninety four WIP. We talk to Ruben tomorrow uh, at noon. Find out what he is seeing. Out of Pat, uh, I'm going Pat Burley. Out of Kyle Schwarber and all the rest. Hey, if the summer heat hasn't yet convinced you to replace your old windows and doors, maybe the great people at Guided Drone Window can help by giving you an extra month to do it at the best prices of the year. Take advantage of Guided's big summer sale. Receive 40% off every window and door you buy. Yep, 40% off each window you buy. That's right, 40% off all expertly installed, high-performance, triple-pane windows, and 40% off any high-quality door, including insulated entry doors, sliding patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. Plus, you can easily buy now and pay later with Guida's low monthly payment plans or interest-free financing for up to 12 months. Don't wait until fall like anybody else to replace your windows and doors. You need to go Guida right now so you can take advantage of these huge savings. All prior sales excluded. Offer expires at the end of April, so call Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Well, that was the other night um, out in California. By the way, Shohei Otani played last night. He's not pitching anymore this year, but he played last night. He got a hit in three walks. It's easy if you don't have to take the bat off your shoulder. Exactly, right. <laughs> uh, Dr. Mark Pollard joins us, our friend from Cooper Bone and Joint. We're going to talk about this a little bit because it it, it is potentially devastating, heartbreaking news to the guy who's – I think the most exciting player in baseball, Shohei Otani, who is having this uh, historic two-way season, uh, can't pitch anymore. He has a torn UCL in his right elbow, which may require Tommy John surgery. Uh, he's going to try to gut it out hitting. We're going to see what happens. I guess my first question for you, let me call up Dr. Pollard here. I'm sorry I'm talking to you, and I haven't called you up because my mouse is here, I got him. frozen. Okay, you get him? There we go. Okay. Hi, Dr. Pollard. Hey, Doc. How are you? Hello. Great, great. I hope you guys are well, too. Yes, we are. Thank you. So he's going to get a second opinion, and the severity of this tear has not yet been announced. Uh, you know, we don't know if it's partial or complete, but he had Tommy John surgery once before. If he has to get it again, what kind of expectation would you have on both his time off and his ability to, to uh, come back 100%? Um, yeah, it's difficult. You know, the, coming back from the initial, you know, the first time Tommy John surgery has kind of become you know, fairly predictable uh, and the results are usually very good. Um, however, with any surgery, and particularly with ligament surgery, anytime you get into the revision surgery where you have to redo it, um, the expectations are kind of lowered. You know, the, the problems and, you know, complications that can happen are also increased. So, you know, I think that is a big issue. I, off the top of my head, I think uh, Steven Strasburg had Tommy John surgery and then had the re-reconstructed after that and was able to return. But I don't. By the way, just announced as, his retirement the did. other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't know that he was quite as dominant as he was beforehand. 
so you know again so the short answer is uh, yeah it's it's worrisome and the expectations are certainly lowered as far as how his pitching is going to go um that being said you know as we saw last year with Bryce Harper you know he was able to to bat effectively um the problem is he's you know the throwing and being in the field is a problem yeah dr pollard you anticipated my question just as kind of a review, because I think we discussed this last year, as you mentioned, with respect to Harper, uh, or even earlier this year. What is it about the injury and the movement that allows a player like Otani or Harper to bat with this kind of injury or even after Tommy John surgery and not be able to throw? Um, well, the the ligament is the, the ulnar collateral ligament. You know, It's on the uh, inside of the elbow. And it's uniquely stressed in the throwing motion, uh, you know, as you're trying to, um, wind, you know, as you're winding up right before your hand starts to move forward, the ligament gets a, a, a high amount of stress, and that's what causes it to tear. Um, but that movement is not usually associated with the hitting motion. And so swinging the bat is usually okay, um, you know, if, and well-tolerated, but the throwing is where it really comes out. It will be fascinating to see, and if a, I guess I will ask you if a team came to you and said, uh, "Listen, we, you know, we're considering he's a free agent at the end of the year. He could sign the largest contract in the history of baseball, but boy, it's uncertain." Would you tell them to respect the uncertainty and back away? Um, I think certainly his his value to the team kind of drops just because of the unknown potential of what what happens you know if you're expecting to have a two-way star getting both you know top level pitching and top level hitting and you know you're, you're willing to pay for that with the uncertainty of him being able to return to the pitching you know that's out there also the recovery a lot of times for the revision surgery does take longer you know most of the time it's about a year mm. uh, plus for a pitcher to get back from a, a primary the, the first time surgery whereas the clock has kind of moved back a little bit for uh, um, uh, the revision things. So I, I think it has to be considered to any uh, uh, shrewd uh, uh, leadership position in, in a team as far as uh, uh, what the potential ins and outs are. Yeah, it, it really it's a shame because this guy was having one of the great seasons of all time and you know really could have one of the great careers of all time if he can somehow manage to get past this. Uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Mark Pollard of Cooper Bone and Joint. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Always a pleasure, my friend. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank well. you, doctor. I was so bummed out by that. But so first of all, on the very short term, we were expecting to see him pitch here. I've never seen him pitch live. Yeah. Like, God, that's a must go. Yeah. And and not only is he not going to play, but Mike Trout's not going to play in that series either. Mickey Moe. Oh, well, there you go. Your favorite player. Your favorite player. I have no Mickey Moniac. You love him. (laughs) I have have no hostility toward Mickey Moniac. But you know what's interesting, though, Glenn, to tie this back to the Phillies is, as most people know now in the aftermath of his no-hitter, Michael Lorenzen uh, came up as a two-way guy who filled in the outfield and could hit a little bit. But what's interesting about Lorenzen is he wanted to be a starter. He didn't want to be a a fill-in reliever and fill-in outfielder. He wanted to start. and. Uh, that was something his his mom told me in the aftermath of the no hitter. That this, it was a great story. You know, this is the 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 validation of everything he'd been working f- toward, and now in his last two starts, he's unvalidated. <laughs>
what everything. Is, what a day for the Angels, by the way, losing Trout and Otani as a pitcher like, in the same day. I and Otani was supposed to make a start here, and it's always fun when Trout plays here. Now we only have Otani as a hitter. Yeah, it's it's their their franchise has just been a mess for so long. It's uh, it's a shame if you're a fan of theirs. Yeah, Shane in Wilmington joins us. Hey, Shane. Hey, how's it going, Glenn? Good. Uh, well, I had just a couple of comments, so I'm kind of going to rapid fire through this, but definitely. Only murders in the building. Give the whole season a chance. You know what it reminds me of? A lot of 30 Rock. Have you ever watched that show? Loved it's it. kind of like yep. a remade 30, yeah. Rock, yeah. 30 Rock. So, love that show. Mike um, Sealski would Mike, like it, right? We believe Mike Sealski is that kind of refined taste that he would appreciate it. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and definitely. My wife can't stop watching The Bear. She recommends The Bear, too, to everyone. So, yep. I'm totally with you guys. But the another one tremendous. that I wanted to mention, um, Shrinking. Harrison Ford. Love shrinking. Love shrinking. It was my show of the year. Yeah, you turned me on to that. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Harrison Ford has never been funnier than he is in that show. He's never been funny. Exactly. You'll cry. You'll laugh. You'll love it. It's a really good show. Um, So just a couple of comments. I'm really curious. um, Still, the Kyle Schwarber thing really bothers me. Like the whole reasoning for them saying, you know, we just keep winning when he starts. Like, I was really surprised that the Phillies didn't end up trading for Andrew McCutcheon or re-signing, um, what's his name, uh, the guy that we used to have, Hit Machine, Gene Segura. Oh. I wish we, yeah. I wish we well, got one of those Gene, two guys. Gene's, you know? Gene's yeah. the, the, the Hit Machine is broken and uh, <laughs> is, is not working anymore. And, again, I don't love Schwarber's defense in left field either. Nobody does, but. The guy hits a ton of home runs. And hit 45 home and runs And he's this great year. in the clubhouse. Yeah. Like, he's yes. one of the two or three leaders of that team. And so the idea of just moving him out of there is not feasible. It's not going to help the Phillies. It just yeah. isn't. Yeah, very good point. John and Maniunk is here. Hey, John, you want to talk about the outfield? Yeah, yeah. First of all, on what we're watching, by the way, tomorrow is National Cinema Day. So you get in the movies for $4. So I check that out. You know, that that's a great value if you're going to see Oppenheimer. Because it's three yeah, hours, four mm-hmm. four dollars for three hours. Wow. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I like to call it outfield. We're talking about left field and everything. I really like this kid Rojas. So I think if you keep him in the center, going in the playoffs, and next year, and you put Marsh in left, and you can move Schwarber to DH. And I think the best thing to do once he gets his back heels up is to have Harper play first base the rest of the, the way. You know. Yeah, I think I think that's their ideal scenario too, John. I think mm-hmm. it's simply a matter of how comfortable do you feel putting Harper at first base every single night. I'm not sure they're quite there yet. Yeah. So wait, 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 wait. Reese Hoskins, that's it. We're done. We're out. Don't you have to be? I want to make sure you're on the record there, John. You're you're the Reese Hoskins uh, goodbye parade. Yeah, I think so. How many guys can you pay twenty million a year? You know, okay. it's like I hear you. You know. All right. So. I wouldn't I'll be opposed to bringing him back, but you know you'd have to figure out a way to um, to set the line. Got to run. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I hear you. Two one five five nine two ninety four. We can ask Ruben about that next segment. We will ask Ruben tomorrow about all of these things and more coming up next. We'll continue to talk to you. Uh, I see Arts on Hold talk about Eagle special teams. Ugh. We'll do that. <laughs> Glenn's favorite topic. Oh, the, man, you know what? Our stupid bet probably has to somewhere fall in special teams again. Yeah, but it was last year, and uh, well, there's we got to find there's something more. new. Oh, okay. Well, we'll go. And if anybody has a suggestion, how, we'll take it. How about how about the guards? Let's let's have a do, deal with the guards. What, what, <laughs> which which one? What? I, I don't know. Creates more 
there's nothing. There's nothing. nothing there. There's nothing to do with higher PFF grade. Yeah, yeah. there we oh, go. Oh gosh, two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack, now on ninety four WIP. Well, we got all the other highlights in earlier, so let's get the backup catcher in. Got to give the backup catcher some love. Absolutely. And a guy I know, listen, a guy who had a lot of loyalty to backup players during his career, Ruben Amaro, former Philly general manager, now terrific broadcaster for the games. How are you on this beautiful day, Rube? It is a beautiful day. I'm doing great. How you doing, guys? Great. We're great. Thanks for thanks for being part of it. So um, we got a lot of things we want to talk about. Every other call we get about the Phillies centers on Kyle Schwarber, who is such a, a hot-button issue because he can't field, but he's in left field. He's batting 188, but he's leading off, and he's got 35 home runs and a ton of walks. And he is the most – and a great guy in the, in the yeah. clubhouse, as, as Mike pointed out earlier. He's the toughest guy to kind of say, like, what should he be doing? Where should he be hitting? What should he be playing? Just kind of you as a, as a general manager, as a talent guy, as somebody who knows the players, put him in perspective. So I think what he brings to the table is much more than you know what your typical leadoff guy would would do. I mean, we've all been sort of programmed that it's certain that leadoff guys have to be X, Y, or Z. Uh, the reality of it is that it's changed pretty dramatically. They, don't, they only lead, lead off once. Yes, he has more at-bats and more plate appearances than anybody else. But he's also one of those guys that sort of sees a lot of pitches. He relays a lot of information. He is an information gatherer. He's not ideal as far as a, you know, as far as a leadoff guy is concerned. But he has danger in his swing every time he's at the plate. He is not a guy that you necessarily can count on to drive a run in because he's got so much swing and miss to his game with men in scoring position, less than two outs. So, I mean, you know, Topper's sort of in a tough spot. I think he puts him there because that's where he can be the most valuable to the team. It sounds strange, but that's, that's my take on it. Is it perfect? No. Uh, would you rather have maybe Stott? Or even at some point, you know, Trey Turner, once he gets, you know, act together, which he's starting to do, would you rather have him be there? Yes. But I think for this team right now, I think that's the spot for him. Ruben, you mentioned the intangibles that Schwarber brings, the leadership in the clubhouse and the person that he is. And Glenn and I were talking earlier in the show about – Something that's a little offbeat, these these necklaces that Jose Alvarado is making for his teammates and that they are all wearing now. You've played in clubhouses that won. You've put together clubhouses that, that won. How big a factor and important a factor is camaraderie? Does it really matter, or is it talent first, talent always? Oh, it matters. There's no question about it. I am... It is so cool to see these guys. I travel a lot with the team. It is so cool how they interact with each other, how much they actually truly like being around each other. And whenever you have that sort of brotherhood, that sort of camaraderie, whatever whatever you want to call it, you are naturally going to try to pull for them and play hard for them because you're doing it as a unit. Um, we did it in 93 
we had a really funky bunch when I played for the uh, the Cleveland Indians in 95. It was a lot of different personalities, but they generally liked each other. Not everybody was perfect. Yeah, despite Albert Bell's best efforts, they liked each other? Yeah, it was weird. Like Albert was a Albert was absolutely the outlier. There's no question. Not a great guy, but like Billy Lofton managed him, and and like Wayne Kirby managed him, and we all kind of like said, "Hey, Albert's Albert," and um, and he still stayed in the circle, played cards with the boys, and mm-hmm. he was a different cat. But um, but generally. It was a team that sort of liked each other and pulled for each other, and they were all, you know, pulling on the same side of the rope. And that sounds so freaking cliche, it's ridiculous, but the reality of it is if you have a group that does that, you have a much better chance of having success than not. Yeah, well, that's a great point. Um, I want to ask you about a specific player, young player. We've watched him now for about 30 games. Johan Rojas came up. I don't know what expectations were, but he clearly can field the position extremely well. He's got speed. Uh, he's driven in some clutch runs. Batting average is 289 right now. I'll live with that. Is it too early to say, the kid's only 22, too early to say that he's an everyday player in, in the majors, or have you seen enough to say that he is? Oh, I think he's going to be an everyday major league player. I mean, what he's going to bring to the table offensively, um, you're not quite sure yet. What I do like about his bat path right now, there was a there was a time when they in early part of his career when he was not very strong, and he was uh, hitting a lot of balls on the ground, which I didn't mind for a guest speed guy. But you know, in this day and age, you got you know the analytics folks or whatever, whatever the old regime decided they want to do, they. They said, you know, well, we need you to lift the ball more. Well, bullshit, BS, excuse me. Yeah. Um, I, I think the reality of it is he's got a much flatter bat path. I think he's hitting the ball a lot. Some, some opportunities to have infield hits, imagine that, and, uh, and utilizing his speed. And I think he's going to be a double, double-plus defender. I mean, I, I would view him as a guy – that could end up being as good as a guy like Andrew Jones, the way he moves wow. to the ball, Whoa. the way he reacts to the ball. He's wow. that good. That's gold glovey. Oh yeah. Oh no no no. Oh no no. He's gonna be he's gonna be elite defensively. There's no question in my mind. Um and is he gonna be able to hit two sixty or two seventy with ten home runs and forty five bags? Maybe. That would be my projection on him. I'll live with that for a decade. I'd love to see that. Of course. Of course. Especially if he's a plus defender in this day and age, man. Athleticism plays again. Mm -hmm. Imagine that. Yeah. Love it. Oh, you know, I Um, love those changes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he becomes just a really valuable player for a team that, like, (laughs) over the last several years, we've uh, talked a lot about the defensive, uh, you know, their defensive issues. He creates a situation now with he and Pache and Marsh. Now you have three guys that you can count on that are um, plus defenders. Marsh more of a plus defender on the corners. Castellanos put himself in a position to be at least an average defender now because he worked his butt off to do it. And so now you have a team that, you know, is not only going to be a great offensive team, but also a team that, especially in the outfield, it's going to be much better. Mm-hmm. 
We're talking with Ruben Amaro, former general manager of the Phillies, analyst for NBC Sports Philadelphia. Rube, Christopher Sanchez throws six terrific innings last night. And again, earlier in the show, Glenn and I played Larry Anderson lamenting that Sanchez came out after six, after throwing so well. From a, from a big-picture perspective, put us in the, the brain trust of a team that is coming down the home stretch end of August into September and October and is trying to balance getting the most out of its starters and keeping the bullpen fresh and not tiring down its starters and not tiring down the bullpen. How do you? How does a team approach it that way? And was there anything to be said for keeping Sanchez in there just to see if you could give, you know, the bullpen an extra inning off? I think Topper in certain situations, I think it depends on the pitcher. Like Fern Sanchez is because he's a young guy. I think he likes the idea of getting him out after him doing really doing a hell of a job. Um, I I think he likes getting those guys out of there and then just letting him be as good as he can be. This is as good as we've ever seen Christopher Sanchez. And credit to the staff down in the minor leagues, to the staff in the big leagues, to get him to this point. Because this is a guy, I'll be honest with you, I I am so pleasantly surprised that this guy's at this point where he has become a pitcher. Because he used to be a thrower. I mean, this is a guy who used to throw 97 miles an hour. I had no idea where the ball was going. Now he's pitching. He's using his changeup. He's using his slider from time to time. He's figuring it out, and he's he's more or less just pitching and not throwing. And they've gotten to the, him to the point where he's sort of maxed out, I think. And so at some point you got to get him out of the game and let your, your bullpen take over. And I think Topper, for, for these young guys, I think he's got a pretty good feel for – how far they should go with them, how much is enough, where he should get them out of the game. And then Topper, I mean, you, you just say what you want about uh, what he's done as a manager. One of the things that he's done extremely well, I feel, is being able to you know, set up the pockets where he brings the right guys in. And he's done, by and large, he's done a tremendous job of that. And uh, he deserves a lot of credit for it. I, I like trying to stretch out the starters as much as possible to take the heat off your bullpen and to try to preserve, you know, the innings. Uh, I'm not into what Gabe Kapler does and, you know. Ten pitchers in a game. (laughs) Ten. It's just an insanity. Oh, gosh, yes. I guess he has to do it with his team. And, you know, he's put them in a a position to be contenders because it's not a great team. No. That said, I think it's a a farce. I agree. Um, but 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 to me, I think that um, that Topper balances that thing really well, really well. I'm sure you've been asked this a thousand times, but if you have the opportunity to set your rotation for the postseason right now, what would it be for Ruben Amaro Jr.? I would hold off on the second guy. Um, I would hold off to see who's the hottest pitcher. And sometimes you can't really set it. I mean, they may be in a position to have to bust it all the way through to the to the you know to October first. So you may not be able to set it. Um, in a perfect world, you take the second guy. To me, it's Wheeler, number one, clearly. And then after that, it's, okay, who's the hottest hand or who's the most available who I feel is, um, I'm most comfortable with? Okay. So we'll get back to you in I mean, September on that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's a September, <laughs> it's a September call okay. because it can be NOLA. 
it could be Taiwan Walker. It could be – I don't think it's going to be Christopher Sanchez, but he's been as consistent as anybody else right now. So it kind of depends on who you're playing, number one, whether it's a team that really handles left-handers well or poorly. Um, a lot of it will tend to – and even – I mean, you know, Ranger Suarez can get hot. Mm-hmm. And Ranger Suarez can be a guy that you can count on because if he starts getting sharp with his stuff, which he can at times, he can be really good. It could be him. We haven't even mentioned the guy who threw the no-hitter. <laughs> right. I mean, like three three starts ago, I said, oh, yeah, you know, Michael Renzi. Yeah. But, I, I mean, the beauty of this is I think at the end of the day, I don't think there's a guy in those other four or five starters that isn't going to be willing and wanting to take the baseball. Each one of those guys has the makeup to want the ball. And I would not have been able to say that about Christopher Sanchez before. But the other guys, yes, because I knew them. Um, But Christopher Sanchez has put himself in a position to be pretty damn consistent. I don't know if the matchup is right. I don't know if he's ready to do that. But I know that each one of those guys, the way they go about their business, I don't think you can go wrong with any of them as far as their mental makeup and their ability to, to, to rise to the occasion is concerned. Ruben, the Philly season is heading to the home stretch. The Eagles are about to begin in a couple of weeks, and we're in a situation in this town now where Howie Roseman, because the team won a Super Bowl recently and got back there last year and is so highly regarded around the NFL, is has almost reached kind of a status where it's hard to criticize him, whether you're in the media, amongst fans, things of that nature. You were a general manager in this town, and you know you you had your very very highs, and um, you know had had situations that you had to negotiate that were difficult. What yep. is what is that like to go through when you're in that chair? When you go from one moment where you're the genius behind the team that is the best in the league, and then people are not happy with you. You yeah, said you know, that very almost... gently, by the way. No, 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 yeah, yeah. And listen, I was going to say, I, I, when you go from the toast of the town to the well, burnt, burnt yeah. crust, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 and, and, and that was reality. So, so the funny part, part about that is, you know, it's, it's occupational hazard. That, this is what happens in, in sports. It's there's cycles that that are created. You try to stay away from the, uh, you try to stay away from the lows, um, the, the long lows. And you know, my only regret was I didn't get a chance to like bring us back out of it because I felt I was, we were on the way to doing that when I was let go, which is fine, and I totally get it. But my, I, I think it's, it's again, it's like an occupational hazard. The job that we have as GMs or people who are running an organization, sports organization, you have to understand that these are human beings. Things are not going to go perfectly well. Um, I know that we get typically hired to get fired, but the, but the reality of it is I'm a huge Howie Roseman fan because what Howie did when he was let go as the GM and put in a different position, he made himself better. He studied, he, he, you know, try to find best practices. He he made an adjustment, and you got to respect that because he came back and did some pretty phenomenal, phenomenal things. Um, and all you can do is you try to make adjustments as you go, and um, and I think that's that's an important element of it. That said, in the game of baseball, 
there was something that happened, you know, right after the money ball thing where the analytics piece of the game changed dramatically. And it changed so much and almost made a 180 to the point where the quality of the game and the fundamentals of the game were lost. And I believe when people were going right, everybody, if you really wanted to have success, you can go left and stay through to the fundamentals of the game, and you probably would have been fine. I believe, and I'm, this is not a commercial for me, but I believe that had some of those teams stayed with the fundamentals of the game, the very basics of the game, that they would have had a lot of success doing it. And in a lot of ways, some did. I mean, there's you, you have to grow in the game. I understand. I get it. There's a there's a lot of information to be had out there, and there's a lot of stuff new uh, new normals out there. Mm-hmm. But I believe in my heart of hearts that the game is the game, and it's just like football. If your linemen stink, your team stinks. If your pitching and defense stinks in baseball, you stink. And so those are the most important fundamental parts of the game. And if you don't, you know, maintain those, then you're just not going to have success. Has Howie reached permanent uh, immunity? Well, there's never permanent immunity in Philadelphia. I mean, Andy Reid didn't get permanent immunity. He was one of the best. So he's the bet one of the best coaches in the history of the game, I think. Um, but I believe that Howie put himself in a position because of his effort, because of his ability to kind of adjust, and because of his desire to to uh, to get better and better, he's as good as there is in 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 the in the game of football. There you go. Yep. Ruben Amaro Jr., it is always a pleasure. When are you next back on TV? I think I'm coming on. Got to take a look at my schedule. I actually have a lot. I've, uh, I have a little bit of a lull here over the next uh, couple of weeks, but then I'm bouncing on. I'm going to be on quite a bit in September, so uh, you guys are going to stick with me after a while. Well, in, uh, hey, enjoy the rest of the summer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that'll enjoy be nice. The, the By the way, off. one last thing, because somebody asked me to ask you this. Because I, I I am an addict of the uh, immaculate grid, uh, something that Mike rolls his eyes at. But I I, I tried to help you today. I you fed did. you some good Toronto Blue Jays yes, from you the nineteen eighties. You, you did help me with uh, Damaso Garcia. Thank you. Um, my question for you is: Have you ever tried it? And do people tell you? Because I got to use your dad a couple of weeks ago. Do people ever tell you that they use you in that thing? Yeah, they, I've gotten a couple of messages from uh, Tyler Kepner, who was uh, yeah, yeah. Tyler's uh, heavy into it. He used my dad. He used me like back-to-back days or something like that. It was kind of weird back-to-back weeks. So yep. I know that you're on it. I, I follow you on the you know social media. So uh, I've never done it. I really don't. Uh, yeah, you were a GM. You're here above it. Let's face it. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get involved in that. But it's but it's kind of cool. And uh, the fact that I was uh, utilized and my dad was utilized in, in a couple of those, it's kind of cool. There you go. Uh, Ruben, a pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks so much, man. Thank you, Ruben. You got it, guys. Uh, be well. Thanks, be well. Rab. There you go. There you go. Yeah, you roll your eyes at it. It's... No, I don't roll my eyes at it. I just I don't feel like I have retained enough baseball knowledge to be able to do it. Okay. If, if they had it in, like, 1997, I'd be all over it. But yeah. in the intervening years, I don't know the sport as well as I once did. Dan Wilson's in Well, you don't really need it. Even if you knew it in 1997, you can use those guys still. Doesn't yeah, I'm really, better with those guys. I, really I, go out of style. I pulled up 
gas house gang guys from the 1930s. Huh. Today. All right, well, maybe I'll give it a try. In fact, I would argue knowing those guys would help you get a lower rarity yeah. score. Yeah, the wow. older the getting, older you are, the better you do if you can uh, remember. America, it. I'm getting lobbied to play the Immaculate there, Grid. There you go. You should. <laughs> there. You, you know what? Next week's show, we'll do it on the air. Okay, sounds right? good. There you yeah, go. let's do it. Dan, you ever do the football one? That's hard. The football one is harder. I have done it. Uh, sometimes for fun, I'll do. I know. You'd probably be better at it. I sometimes do the hockey one. Just I do the hockey like one. Any of them? Yeah. yeah. The, the hockey one depends. If it's like original twelve, I can do it. Flyers, Bruins, Rangers, I'm great. And yeah. then it's like Columbus Blue Jackets and Nashville. Pre- you like, got to get a Kansas uh, City scout in there somewhere. Yeah. I'm not getting Golden Knights and Panthers. No, yeah. I'm not good at that. All right, Art in Woodbridge. Thanks for hanging. Hello, Art. Good afternoon, now guys. Yes, sir. Love Hi, the Art. Show. Thank you. Hi. Love the show. Listen, I have a question. It's 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 been bothering me. Uh, we had a person by the name of Jeff Stills go through a situation, and he was welcomed back to the team. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad he was welcomed back to the team. But I want to improve the special teams punter. Why won't they bring Ariza in? Look, Art, we talked about this earlier, Glenn and I. We don't know. I don't think enough about the nature of that situation to know whether bringing him in would be appropriate. Just because the legal aspect of his situation ha- seems to have been adjudicated doesn't necessarily mean that Matariza is somebody who the Eagles want to bring in. And I'm trying to be as delicate as I possibly can in speaking about this. And I'll just add to it this, because like Mike, I don't know. I don't know what the case I don't know what kind of guy he is. I don't know anything else around him. But I do know that there's 32 teams in the NFL. None of them are taking a look at him. I, again, uh, Buffalo I, did have a look at him. Pardon me? Buffalo. No, Buffalo drafted him before that. And then Buffalo uh, let him. Somebody brought him into camp this year. No, and, Buffalo had him and let him go. As far as I know, I thought somebody brought him into camp this year. I, I, well, I if they brought if they brought him into camp and he's good, I would imagine they would have kept him. I, I I can't answer. But really, the bottom line to your question is, every case is different, and Sills' case is different from from Areza's. And again, the Eagles have people who look at this really closely. They're they're smart and they're careful, and they try to. I don't want to go too deep. 32 teams aren't taking him. Right. I can't answer why, but the Eagles are one of 32 who have decided we don't want this. Yeah, and I don't necessarily blame them for it. I mean, the blowback, A, the blowback, and B, the possibility of something really going wrong uh, are real. That's there. Look at look at the controversy, so to speak, around the drafting of Jalen Carter, right? Like around here, everybody sees, for the most part, People see Jalen Carter could have been the number one pick in the draft. It's amazing that the Eagles were able to get him at nine. Howie Roseman pulls off another coup. And that's all fine and good, and that's all well as long as Jalen Carter acts like an adult. Yeah, we'll see. We'll We'll see. see. Big Dom is the guy with the Eagles who is their head of security and all of these things, and they decided not to do it. The one thing we can agree on, the punter's not very good. No, that's true. I would like to see a different punter. We have spent so much time talking about punters today. We have have to have set Ooh, some kind of WIP record. Maybe the stupid bet centers on the punter. punter. That's a good. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. Um, we could do an over under on the punter. There, there was. We did one years. I ago. we did two years ago. 
No, two years ago? Ray and I did one a thousand years ago with uh, There's punts inside the or punt Oh, returns. we did that one. Yeah. We did the one punts within the we, twenty. Yeah. We, we got one suggestion from from Twitter, from social media. Uh-huh. Stupid football bet for the year, an over under on penalty flags for Derek Barnett. Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad. I would I would I, but I would like to do that versus, as opposed to an over-under, mm-hmm. Barnett penalty flags versus something something else. The way last year we did Covey punt returns over, I think it was 15 yards versus times they were in the 25, whatever. Right. And if we could do, if we could find, like, yeah. Barnett penalties, we'll have to look it up, but I'm thinking somewhere in the range of six to eight. Probably, yeah, if he's on the field that much. Well, that's also part of the yeah. thing. The problem but, is if he gets hurt or something, it throws the whole thing off. Yeah, well, we've had that, too, in past years. Yes. <laughs> All right, like, well, you don't want to ruin it in week guys, three. Yeah. We, we got time, but let's work on it. Yeah. Obviously, uh, the gentleman in the studio enters this as an interested party. Well, Dan yeah. Wilson, of course, because Dan has nothing at risk and much to gain. Exactly. So, I'm, yeah, I'm all game. He, it doesn't he's, really... he's looking forward to that next ice cream dinner at Yeah, exa- exactly right. I mean, I get the free dinner no matter what. I don't really have vested <laughs> interest who wins. You know, we have to establish the rule for producers because we've had some turnover in producers. It has. Yeah, because I mean, if I'm losing again, I'm not taking half a dozen producers no, out no, for dinner. No, no, it's it's the rule is two producers. Although would we take? I don't make that Mac now money. No, no. Last year was just me and Kyle. The year okay. before that was me. Yeah. Fritz was helping you with tell us your story. Yeah, yeah, Bright Meyer. Yeah. Right. And most turned down the invite. Yeah. Last. Uh, yeah. Did okay. I? I think Ray lost that. I won, so it's like Ray, you're taking everybody yeah, and, you and you're way with, out the you door. You seem to be fine with it. That well, year. Ray was leaving. You know, it was a goodbye <laughs> celebration. Money. Yeah, that's exactly. Listen, Ray got some walking away money. Uh, but, but, but we have. I think like we'll keep track yeah. of the producers and how much they do the show. Right. And it'll be the two who do the show the most. I think that's a good way to go. There you go. Okay. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Uh, Mike Sielski, Glenn Macknow, time for your calls on 94 WIP. All right, hold on here. We are, uh, we, uh, I called up the ultimate uh, grid hockey, and it's Flyers Sabres, and you got Gary Galley. Why do you spell Gary Galley? Two G- R's? Yeah, G-A-R-R-Y. Okay, G-A-R-R-Y. Gary Galley, here we go. Nice, 1% rarity hey, score. Hey. Well done. Stick with me, kid. Good job. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We uh, uh, we had a John from Maniac. This is a different John from Maniac. We need the league in John's from Maniac. We do. How are you, sir? I love Glenn. I love you, man. I'm I'm John from Maniac. Like, oh, wow. I'm, I, the other guy could be John from Roxburgh. I, you know, you are you are time. as in there is the Ohio State. You are the yeah, John I mean, from Maniac. We we need a John from East Falls. We need a John from you know Germantown. You all over. How are you? Hey, listen. Uh, I'm great, man. A lot of people can say they're Batman. One guy has a cape in the closet. You know what I mean? So, you know. <laughs> gotcha. He can be he can be John from Roxborough. He can be John from Green Lane. Whatever right, he's like. Right, you know, right. We all know. I'm okay. teasing. I'm teasing. Um, in all seriousness, though, I, I was calling because after after yesterday's Phillies game, I, I laughed out loud in my living room and I said, you know, I, I just I just I'm so glad that these Schwarber haters are going to shut up after what four four homers and five games or five homers in the last week, something like that. And, and the first thing I hear when I turn on the radio is somebody saying that we should get John Segura instead of Schwarber. Like, <laughs> I, 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 I'm we did sorry. Have that. Yeah, we had that. Like, at the end of the day, dudes, like, the game is about putting runs on the board. I understand that this game is 100-plus years old, and the 300 hitters should be leading. I get all that. I, I'm, I'm a millennial, but I'm an old millennial. I hate the way the current gen talks crap on the old guys. I don't like that. But at the end of the day, it's about scoring runs. 
Schwarber has 80-plus RBIs. Bryson Stott has 50. Schwarber has 80 runs. Bryson Stott has 50. Now, he might be hitting 300. He's got 12 homers. Schwarber's got three times as many. Yeah. So well, I, I, I they're, get... they're odd guys to compare because one guy's my second baseman who does a lot of things I want him to do yeah, at second but base. Yeah, but that guy is the one you want batting leadoff. You want to give him I, more at-bats than, than Schwarber. I want to have I him bat leadoff, yeah. I think like, he I think I, he has other skills that will help him I be a better leadoff the, hitter. Steals bases, I like with, that. Yeah. Stott's numbers with runners and scoring positions is actually pretty good. I like him. My mm-hmm. point is, though, I get the tradition of putting the, the one of the best hitters first to get on base, get the games on. However, if you have the NL leader in homers leading off, that starts that creates a new dynamic. For the opposing pitcher, you know, you make them, you know, you're not loosened up fully yet. You make a mistake. Oh, okay, there's one on. This is one nothing with no outs with Schwarber. Mm. So, like, is it perfect? No, I'd rather him hit 280, obviously. But, like, he, he's clubbing the ball. He's, he's making other pitchers afraid. Like, I, 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 and his on base percentage isn't really that horrible. So, at the end of the day, he draws a lot of walks or he hits home runs. Like, I, I, I just think the. You know, All right, your case is made. Yeah. The gavel goes down. You made it well. Did you have a TV recommendation? Um, I do love the bear. I think Sydney's a, a, a lame character. However, my in the last year, the only recommendations I've been given out were Barry and White Lotus. I think Barry is an exceptional show. Uh, Barry really was weird at the end, though. Bar- Barry got it, Barry got it, very Barry w- like started as kind of a black comedy mm-hmm. and ended up almost like a horror show. Oh, end. really? Yeah, it, it, no. it evolved. I've been curious about the White Lotus just because it looks kind of strange. Yeah, and I've not I've not uh, approached you, that show. You yet. watch it out of a sense of curiosity. As much as anything else, right. caring Fly, about the characters. Flyers, Devils. Who you want to plug in? Flyers, Devils. Flyers, Devils. Um, boy, that's a great question. Ooh. Uh, who played? I for got both two goalies. Uh, who am I? Uh, two backup goalies. Backup goalies. Chico Resch. Yeah, let's do Chico Resch. The other one I was thinking of was um, Sean Burke. Wayne Simmons works, right? Oh, there, there you go. Yeah, I think Chico Resch will get us a better rarity score. There you go. Oh, I'm gonna take Chico. I got to do Glenn Resch. Ah, Glenn it's Rush. always there go. it's always like actual birth names on these. Yes, things. got right. a five five percenter on Glenn Rush. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, Might have oh. done better with those. All right, I want to bring up something else because you had a great column earlier this week, and uh, if we may, I want to lead into this with just a little bit of a soundbite. I don't know how many people are going to recognize this, but here we go. Am I right, Hans, Booby? I'm your white knight. <laughs> so you wrote a column. Uh, about James Harden, which was a fine column, although the highlight to me was that you hyperlinked this scene yes. from Die Hard yes. where Ellis, the idiot attorney, <laughs> decides that he's going to settle the whole thing right. and ends up with his brain splattered on the ground. I must have missed 60 minutes. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> nonetheless, tells him. your argument is that James Harden should now swallow his pride and come back. My argument is that that's the only recourse he has. Uh, I don't think it would necessarily be the best outcome for the Sixers. In fact, I think the Sixers should go full Pontius pilot with James Harden if they can and wash their hands of him. Mm-hmm. But if you're James Harden and you're at this point, you're already in the best possible situation you're going to be in. You're with a team that theoretically can contend for a championship. You're going to make $35 million. Come back and say you're sorry and try to play your best because that's really the only option you have. You're not going to outweigh Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey We've is, seen that before. is perfectly happy to let James Harden sit. We saw it with Ben Simmons. 
We'll see it again here. The Sixers have been dealing with dysfunction like this forever. If anybody's prepared to handle it. They're good at dysfunction. They have it all the time. It it happens to them all the time. They Uh, can handle it. uh, They're accustomed to this. So if you're Harden, the only option you have is to come back. I don't think he'll do it. I don't think it's the best thing for the Sixers, but that was the point of what I was writing. Plus, I wanted to cram in as many movie references as I could in 900 words. Well, you you did that. Let's hear that one more time. I loved it. There you go. <laughs> that is an all-time – it's funny we're, we're playing that clip, Glenn, because last night I was with my wife and my mother and father and we were talking about uh, your top ten movies of all time. And we were trying to come up with each of our lists. Mm-hmm. And I regret that I did not mention Die Hard because it would be in my top ten. It's, it's definitely one that you can watch again. Oh, again, again, so great. Again. Yeah, so it's, great. It holds true. up so well. It does. It does. Let's talk to Carl in Bucks County. Hey, Carl. Hey, this is Vincent Vega. I want to talk to Winston. I want to talk to Mr. Wolf. There you go. That's right. <laughs> that you worked was, that in too. I did. Carl, I you read love, the column. I love that reference. Thank you, I Carl. I love that reference. But please do me a favor. Tell me what the magic is that gets a guy like Daryl Morey to make so much damn money and not build a team that doesn't have uh, James Harden on it. I mean, what's this man ever accomplished that we give him such hosannas? And all he does is kiss James Harden's, you know, tie-dyed sneakers. It, well, it he, annoys me. Here, here's the thing, Carl. It, it did take, I would say, two things. Number one, Maury, faster than most executives in the NBA, saw where the sport was headed and, and in some ways took it in that direction by emphasizing the three-point shot to the degree that he did. And it really was a master stroke when he traded for Harden and brought him to Houston from Oklahoma City because Harden was coming off the bench for the Thunder at the time. And Maury pinpointed him and said, that's the guy that I can build my team around. And, look, they were a contender year after year after year that way, and Harden became an MVP and one of the greatest scorers in NBA history. I don't like what he's doing now. I, you know, There's no defending the way he played in Game 6 and 7 against the Celtics, but – there is something to be said for what Maury did in kind of taking the Rockets to the place that he took them. Well, th- that's my point exactly. The man has you know, earns his bones on one guy, and he, wherever Harden goes, you know, or one of them goes, the other one follows. And that's my point. Uh, unlike a guy like the Phillies general manager, who is good in different scenarios. It doesn't. His career isn't built on one guy's shoulders. Mm-hmm. And with Harden, we got too little, too late. And yeah, but you got him for you, plan. you got him for Ben Simmons. Which, look, I mean, we can debate until the cows come home whether there was a better deal available or not, and who did they did the Sixers get off for Tyrese Halliburton and all of that. To get what the Sixers got out of James Harden for Ben Simmons, given what Ben Simmons was giving them at the time, you can only complain so much about that. And, you know, he, Maury, in defense of him, I, do I think he's a perfect general manager? Of course not. But he did have a bit to, of a mess to clean up coming in after Elton Brand and, you know, the, the decision to try to go after Al Horford and bring him in and that whole kind of misbegotten pandemic season. Uh, the Sixers weren't in great shape, and so Maury did have to clean some stuff up there. I think that was well said, and it was obviously a well-read column because people are quoting the movie references. It's often. great. There so were like there three or four. There's the officer, an officer, and a gentleman. Jaws. Like yeah. I said, I was yeah, just you made- got them all in there. You had a good time with that one. I did.
I played for Flyers and Senators. You're still playing your game? <laughs> Hashik. Yeah. yeah, Dominic Hashik didn't play yeah. for the Senators. Yeah, he did. He did? Yeah, 24%. So a lot, ah, of, okay. a lot of people answered that. All right. I, would have, I knew he played for the Red Wings and won a cup with them. But I 215-592-9494. We'll come. We'll wrap it up. We'll uh, find out what we uh, forgot to talk about it from our producer, Dan Wilson. And we'll talk to you. Hey, if the summer heat has not yet convinced you to replace your old windows and doors, maybe the great people at Gotta Door and Window can help by giving you an extra month to do so at the best prices of the year. Take advantage of Gotta's big summer sale. Receive 40% off every window and door you buy. Yeah, 40% off each window. Yeah, 40% off all expertly installed high-performance triple-pane windows. And you get 40% off any high-quality door, including insulated entry doors, sliding patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. Plus, you can easily buy now and pay later with Guida's low monthly payment plans or interest-free financing for up to 12 months. Don't wait until fall like other fools. Replace your windows and doors now. You need to go to Guida right now take advantage of these huge savings. All prior sales excluded. Offer expires at the end of August. So call Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go. All right. Happy. Nice and easy. <laughs> that was not nice and easy. I can't believe you're a professional golfer. I think you should be working at the snack bar. There is no way that you could have been as bad at hockey as you are at golf. All right, let's go. Oh! You like that, old man? You want a piece of me? I don't want a piece of you. I want the whole thing. Well, that little funny clip uh, from Happy Gilmore was uh, featured the great Bob Barker, who I guess passed away today at age of 99. Died at 99, yes. Uh, and I will say this. I mean, Happy Gilmore, I, you know, I watched that like everybody else, and I liked it. I had to argue with Ray to put that in our Ultimate Book of Sports movies. Really? Got it in. Yeah, Ray, Ray hated it. Uh, ah. But we got it he in. He doesn't we seem got... like a Happy Gilmore guy. No, he was not a Happy Gilmore guy. But we got it, we got it in the book. Um, but the, the for me, Bob Barker was this. Being a kid, and he was on TV since when I was a kid, mm-hmm. a sick day home from school Darn right. meant yep. that you watched The Price is Right with Bob Barker, and mm-hmm. that was like it was like the highlight of being home sick. It was. Don't forget to spay and neuter your pets. Yeah. And, you know, God rest his soul, we've now lost Bob Barker and Alex Trebek. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Vanna White is no longer on Wheel of Fortune. Is that right? Do I have oh, I that correct? Know. Uh, we're seeing a, a shift in game shows, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> a yeah, new generation. God bless Bob Barker. He just every he's a guy everybody liked Bob Barker. Yeah. Right? There's nobody who did not like Bob Barker. No, of course not. I and mean, and when he was in that movie and played like against his normal self by punching out Happy Gilmore, mm-hmm. it was a smart thing. For it, him. It's funny though. You think about the term game show host, and you think of someone slick, uh, you know, used car salesman ish kind of. And here we are talking about Bob Barker and Alex Trebek and Pat Sajak, who don't convey that image at all. Yeah. Uh, they're kind of likable guys, n- likable, nostalgic kind of figures in yep. our in our pop culture. Yeah. Anyway, all right. It's time to find out what we forgot to talk about with producer Dan Wilson. Yeah. So I got a few things for you guys. Uh, we discussed a little bit of Howie Roseman and that audio we played of other general managers in the league apparently are covering both their back pockets as they talk to him. But one piece of audio we did not get to, and it's a minute 30, so I'm not going to play the whole thing. 
uh, but it or it was reposted on WIP's Twitter page this week, is Jed Fish, who is now the head coach at University of Arizona, who was roommates with Howie Roseman in college. Apparently his draft day set up in college because he knew he was going to be a general manager in the NFL was really extensive. He had all kinds of draft boards and would literally give his opinions on every single pick. And he thought he was like insane yeah. then, but now yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. Oh, God. Age 10, he's writing letters to all the teams. Yeah. The like, yeah. I'm going to be a GM for you one yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, you know what? He got it. He dream. knew what he wanted to do. Uh, I know a few people who played fantasy football with Howie when he was at the University of Florida, uh, similar to, to the Arizona coach. And... They won't discuss it with me, <laughs> I think. Like keeping uh, score by hand with him and stuff like that? Yeah, they won't get into details because I think they feel like Howie still has ears somewhere. <laughs> That's interesting. By the way, WIP Fantasy Baseball League, next week, final week of the regular season, looks like you and I going for that last spot. Could be a spot. big matchup, yeah. Yeah, I think we're uh, trying to sneak into the playoffs. All right, what else? Uh, so also keeping with the Eagles, uh, there was a little bit of a fight at practice this week in the open practices. Uh, Eagles Colts ended prematurely, and Jason Kelsey, of all people, started it and then took full blame for it. Not the guy you would expect. Yeah, I was there to see it. Uh, look, was it a was it a big deal, quote unquote? I mean, it was an event. It was a scene, and Kelsey did apologize for it. But my sense is, if you shot him up with truth serum, he would say, you know what? I did what I needed to do to protect the teammate, and this is football, and this is what happens. The funny part to me, Glenn, is that this kind of thing, maybe not on this scale where two opposing teams are going at each other in the way that the Colts and the Eagles did, but this kind of thing happened all the time in training camp years ago. Years ago, okay. When coaches would set offensive linemen against defensive linemen. Buddy Ryan, Mike Ditka, all these guys. Mm -hmm. So it is a little bit of like... Selective memory. Let's put well. It that it's way. also there's nothing going on right. with those things, and you're looking for something to write about, and everybody's looking for something interesting, and like, hey, fight! Yeah, there you go. There was a great story that Mike Gola told on Tell Me a Story <laughs> to you and Ray a few yeah. years ago yes. about him and Jerome Brown almost having a fight in the shower. They started fighting in the field on the field, and it, like for a long time, and then other guys are getting into it, and they break it up. Gola goes into the shower. Jerome Brown comes in. And Jerome Brown still wants to fight. And yeah. Cole looks like, are we going to fight naked here? Is that what we're going to do? <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't happen, it, fortunately, yes. but it got close. All right, one more. And then just really quick, not quite at the same magnitude or importance, uh, but Bryce Harper had a bit of a Donovan McNabb moment this week. Did you guys catch? He didn't know a rule that happened in Wednesday's game. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. So in the 10th inning of Wednesday's game, uh, the game in which Gabe Kapler used 10 pitchers mm-hmm. and uh, Bryce Harper tied the game in the ninth. See, well, this is why I missed it. I passed out because Kapler was cycling through so many pitchers. I just used the I entire bullpen, but that's besides yeah. the point. Uh, runners on first and third with one out uh, in the top of the 10th inning, and there was a fly ball hit to Johan Rojas, who makes an unbelievable play. Oh, on. I did hear about that. And yeah. the runner on third was successfully tagging up, and the runner on first had like run all the way to second base trying to get back. So Rojas gets up, throws the ball to first base, but Bohm catches the ball at first base after the run had crossed, which Harper thought was a force out because you only have to step on home plate, but the rule book states that if you're not forced to advance, yeah. it doesn't register as a force out. So the run counted. Yes, a little bit of Arcania, and I understand why he may not know that, but yes. I would guess a lot of players don't know that. I, I'm you're actually, an umpire, aren't you, Dan? I'm proud to say that I was in the stands and knew the rule, but I can't imagine many people did. Wait, have you actually umpired? Yeah, I used to umpire Little League for like six years. Is that right? Yeah. What do they pay you a game? Uh, I got up to, it was like 75. 
That's not bad. Yeah, it was it was good money. 12, I mean, I, twelve year olds. Yeah, eleven, twelve. I work my way up to like eleven and twelve year olds. Most of the games are on weekends. So once I started working, you know here, Here's didn't the really key que- Here's the key yeah. question: Are you better right now than Angel Hernandez? Because it, Major League Baseball could use you. I, I think I could get back there, and I've never umpired like ninety-five mile an hour pitching, but little league up to twelve years old. I did That's it, a, yeah. Angel Hernandez calls a game like he hasn't either, so it's okay. So yeah, I, I think it's a low bar to clear. I have in my back pocket always like the topic I want to do that like when times are really slow, which they haven't been fortunately, which is youth sports umpires and parents. Mm. I have plenty of stories if we ever get. All right, when it, we yeah. when we do that, let's make yeah, sure we do it. Because I, day I used to umpire softball. Uh, youth softball too. So is that right? Yeah, you got parent well, stories too. Oh sure. Oh jeez. Okay. Well, fortunately, we're probably not going to need it for a while. That's fine. We got a pennant race. We got a football season. We're we got craziness around the Sixers. We got a new president of the Flyers. But when times are slow, keep we're going to do mind. the umpire show. Yeah. Right, yeah. Sounds like a plan. All right. Coming up, Go Birds Radio with James and Elliot. Uh, what do you got for the rest of the day? What are you doing? Um, heading down the shore. Going to hang out with family and friends. I am going to MC the 112th annual fundraising gala for the Players Club of Swalford. Got a tuxedo at home to play. 112th annual. Yeah. Holy. You're like shooter shooter and hoosiers. You got a a wing dinger there, huh? Uh, I do. (laughs) Hopefully that tux still fits. It's been been a busy summer. All right, everybody, have a great day. Uh, Go Birds Radio coming up. We'll see you then. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.